106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. What you doing, you pig-head sucker? Every day for the last 10 years, Loretta there has been giving me a large black coffee. Today she gives me a large black coffee, only it's got sugar in it. A lot of sugar. I just came back to complain. How you boys put those guns down? <laughs> Say what? Well, we're not just gonna let you walk out of here. Who's we, sucker? Smith and Wesson and me. Listening to the No Hostages Radio podcast, and I'm back. This is Lou Benninger, and this is the guy you normally hear when you plug in, click in, find, get on an app, do something, and end up over here at this podcast, No Hostages Radio. We're here now for our sixth uh, session, our sixth episode, and we're glad you can make it. We'll be here for about, oh, I don't know, about three hours. We don't we don't measure exactly, but I got about three hours worth of stuff. I notice that talk show people, sometimes they'll listen to radio talk shows, and if they don't know what to say right at the beginning, they don't know how they want to start, they'll say, we got a lot, we got a lot to talk about today. Well, obviously, otherwise you wouldn't be on the radio and be there committed to fill in two or three hours of space. But mainly, uh, I'm happy you're here because when we used to do AMFM radio for five to six years here in Northern California, uh, I'm not quite sure how big our listening audience was, but we used to get quite a few folks. And uh, but we have a little better signal now, and in its quality, and so you can listen to us on all your devices, and we can assure you that our live stream is working, unless the whole internet goes down, then we're in trouble. So uh, it's it's kind of a better deal. But what, the way we went off the air in late January, we really went out with went off without any notice, and so a lot of people thought they just those guys disappeared into thin air, as they say. We kind of did, and uh, but if you if you stumble back across this, maybe you can give a shout out to your friends, and we'll all get back together. And we'll, you can connect with us. So if you'd like to uh, text me ever, you can always reach me at 530-713-1838. Again, it's 530-713-1838. And you'll hear Lou, if you get a voicemail, you'll hear Lou at Trauma Intervention Program. That's a, a nonprofit that I run where we respond to the 911 calls with fire and police and all the other uh uh, emergency respond agencies in the uh, Northern California area. If you're not familiar with Northern California, 
We're north of Sacramento, about an hour up here in what we like to call the state of Jefferson. I don't know whether we'll ever see this or not. It's our dream is to separate from the state, not separate from the union. We, we like the United States. We just don't like the way California's run. Up here in Northern California, it's rural, and uh, we only have a couple representatives, and so it doesn't matter what we want up here, even if we all agree on it. If 100% of Northern California agrees, just L.A. County, they have more representatives than all of us up here because it's more sparsely populated, and we have different causes and needs up here, just like they have different down there. We're not against them. We just don't have the problems they have in the urban area, and they don't have the problems we have up here. So we need to have a different state called the state of Jefferson. Uh, so, again, uh, you, can, you can text me. Now, I haven't noticed that I've got any emails through this email, but we set up this email at lou, L-O-U, at nohostagesradio.com. I may have to try try that. Uh, you used to use Lou Benninger, L-O-U-B-I-N-N-I-N-G-E-R, Lou Benninger at gmail.com. That's still good. That's my normal email. But we set this one up. So uh, there is a website. I'm not quite sure how you found us, whether it was on iTunes or Google. But there is a website called NoHostagesRadio.com. And on that website are all my episodes and uh, articles that I write for the Territorial Dispatch, which is a local weekly paper here. I just got a, a Facebook message from a patriot up in Montana. It looked to me like he maybe was a Vietnam vet or is a Vietnam vet. And somehow a friend of his that lives down here in California passed on an article I wrote a few weeks ago called College Students Know About the Three Stooges. And uh, somehow that tickled his fancy as they say and he he got a kick out of it and said i'm hooked i'm and wrote me and thanked me for writing the article so at this time i'm doing a podcast a week and writing a couple articles each week as well for the territorial dispatch so you can get all that if you want just go to uh nohostagesradio.com uh or you could if you're interested in the territorial dispatch you can go online or you can actually get a hard copy subscription you can go see it online at territorialdispatch.biz. And then in there, if you want to buy a subscription, you can. it'll tell you how to do that. But it's territorialdispatch.biz. Well, uh, I'm sitting here in my little sort of uh, fake studio in my home in Northern California. And it's cloudy today. It's raining today. It's beautiful. It rained all last night, and everybody was just shocked. In fact, it's supposed to be raining on and off for the next several days. We're, I have some friends that moved up from Cal, uh, San Diego, and I told them here a while back, I said, once it stops raining, which it, we thought it stopped raining, you won't, you won't be able to uh, have any rain for like six or seven months. And so you won't... Uh, you're not going to get a chance to get rain until it gets almost into the winter of next year. So that's just the way that is. But now it's all changed. And so now you, you, uh, we have rain here. And I'm going to talk about the water situation. The reason I'm introducing that today, we're going to talk about the water situation in Northern California and in the state of California and the crazy uh, sort of fascist operation we got going in California 
driven by unions and environmentalists. And that's that's what's going on in California. And, and I'm going to tell you some of the laws that have been enforced. You know, in California, we have laws to tell you whether you can drink water or wash off the the uh, your sidewalk or whether you can uh, drink out of a straw or whether you can do this or that. Everything is just managed, just like a socialist society. In fact, when Obama was running for office the second time, there was a talk show host, in, I think, out of San Diego. He's now off the air. His name's Roger Hedgecock, if you ever remember hearing him nationally. And uh, he used to say, if you want to see how the second term of Obama is going to work for the United States, just come over here and look at what California is doing right now. And that's very true. Uh, we're we're going to have uh, Venezuela here. Sometimes I call this state Calazuela because we're really implementing socialism. Uh, you know, they say that uh, socialists think they got it going until they run out of money, everybody else's money. And that's what's happening here in California. They're just burning up money as fast as they can on really stupid projects. We just, uh, I, I wanted to mention uh, just one company. We have a few companies that help us. We're kind of a nonprofit operation. I mean, I don't, I don't have a nonprofit, but we're not in this for the profit or the money. But I have a few people that helped me get on the air, convinced me to get on the air, and then worked out ways to support me to be on the air. It costs something to be on the air. Uh, I don't get a salary, but it's uh, I don't really need a salary. I'm just doing this because I think somebody needs to say something, right? And uh, so I have a few businesses that I've known for a long time, business people, and, and one of them uh, is Elite Universal Security. Uh, and they have been supporting me for, they're in their second year now, actually. And they have a business that tries to keep your stuff, your stuff and tries to protect you and, and your business and your property and your home. And, uh, you know, the, the found founding fathers felt that we needed to protect private property. And so, uh, Monty Hecker, who is the founder of Elite Universal Security and, and a veteran, military veteran, uh, he believes in that. He believes in the founding principles of the Constitution. So he's making a living at protecting people's business and their private property and their lives. So uh, they've been supporting us, and we talk about them. You can get a job with them. They're advertising all the time for jobs. They have a, a couple websites, api-academy.com. Where they offer schooling, if you want to get involved with them, you can they'll train you. If you think, oh, I don't know anything about this being a guard or a security guard, they'll train you. And they'll also uh, help you figure out why people are messing and vandalizing your business and goofing up your equipment and your cars and stealing your property and your compressors and all that stuff. They'll help you with strategies, but they'll also help you get a concealed weapon permit. And their next course is the end of the month on May 25 and 26. It's a Saturday and Sunday. You have a day in the classroom, a day on the range. You can you can also uh, get requalified there. And uh, let's see. They also mentioned on that website that in June they're going to take the entire month off. That doesn't mean they're not going to work. They still are doing the security business, and you can still get mobile notary service and live scans if you need it but they're going to take a, uh, a month off of the classes so everybody can go and take all the vacations at the same time all the teachers 
So if, if you want to check in with them and you think, oh, I might not like to do that, call them at 530-749-0280, 530-749-0280. And, uh, and if you're down here in Yuba County where they operate out of, it's 5548 Feather River Boulevard. If you think, oh, I need a live scan, I need to get it right away, I don't have the time to work for the police department to offer one, they'll help you. So go check it out. Well, I, you know, this last uh, weekend was Mother's Day, and we played a little clip last week about Mother's Day. And, but there's been a lot of, you notice there's been a lot of talk about abortion and different legislators, legislatures in the United States are, are, are voting and saying we're done with abortion and we're done with people killing babies. And I got involved in this uh, fight back in about 19, oh, 1987, 86, probably 86, 87. And back then we didn't have the science we have now. We didn't have the technology we have now. And, and Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry just lied through their teeth, as they say, about abortion. Oh, it's just a, a, a blob of cells. Oh, it's nothing. It's 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 not a baby yet. It, the baby babies are in the womb. Don't feel a thing. Just one lie after another lie after another lie. And they and they would attack. We we helped start a a, cr- a pregnancy uh, resource center here in the uh, Marysville, Yuba City area called a woman's friend back then, which still going today is now now relocated in Yuba City from Marysville. But back then we would start and they, they would complain like, oh, these pregnancy centers, they're like all anti-women. They're not telling the truth. And you go in to get an abortion and, and they tell you it's a blob of cells, right? To- they just totally lied. In fact, my own doctor, I learned... Uh, through sort of a uh, mistake, I learned that he was doing abortions, I, and I confronted him about it. I went in and had a talk with his office. I said, I can't believe you're doing abortions. Don't you know it's a baby? He said, Louis said, any doctor, this is a 1986 or 7, he said, any doctor that would say that they are doing abortions and they're not killing a baby is a liar. I thought, well, at least he's, a, he's an honest murderer, Right. So I don't know all these people, you know, I don't, I, I like going to movies, but I don't get out much and, uh, to, to social things like that. And I don't, uh, watch, I don't have a television hooked up, but I, I read where this woman, uh, sent a message out. She tweeted a message out. Her name is Jamila Jamil. You know her Jamila Jamil. That's how I pronounce it anyway. And she said proudly, on this tweet, I had an abortion when I was young, and it was the best decision I have ever made, both for me and for the baby I didn't want and wasn't ready for emotionally, psychologically, and financially. So many, so many children will end up in foster homes, so many lives ruined, so very cruel. I think, you know, the way she writes, sometimes it almost, you at one point here, you almost think she's going to start talking about the baby's rights or what the baby feels or what's best for the baby. She said, well, it was best for me and the baby. But then she says, I didn't want it and I wasn't ready for it. And I, it was about my emotions and my psychology and my finances. And then she starts complaining that so many children ends up in foster homes. So I think what she's saying is, as uh, the legislator down in Arkansas or Alabama said the other day, I, I think I wrote an article about it. I can't remember now. He says, he said, you either kill him now or kill him later with an electric chair, right? It's like saying that unwanted babies are going to end up all criminals. 
<clears throat> Isn't that crazy? Unwanted babies, if you put them up for adoption, are going to end up criminals. I got a whole, you know, I didn't ever do any research on this, but I've helped lots of people adopt children. And not not one of them has ended up in a criminal. Isn't that interesting? We've had so many, and so many people, we used to take these babies that were born in prison and care for them until their mothers got out. And then we'd reunite them. And people say, oh, there's always, isn't it true in your life when you try to make a good decision and try to help so many people have, there's so many naysayers talking about myths, M-Y-T-H-S. And people would say to me, Lou, you know, those are crack babies and heroin babies and meth babies, and they're going to be all screwed up in the head. And, and I see all these kids now, it's almost 20 years later. And they are doing good. They're playing soccer. They're playing. They're dancing. They're going in the Navy. They're they're doing wonderfully. And they come up to me. Sometimes I'll see them around town, or they'll show up at church or something, and come back to town for some reason. And all of a sudden, they'll come give me a big old hug. They'll say, "Lou, you remember me? I'm joining the Navy." You know, and uh, it's pretty exciting and pretty good stuff. And it's very sad when when people are confused, like Jamila. Jamil and other other legislators who just come up with some kind of a nonsense uh, justification to kill children. So um, I wanted to, there's a connect here. This is some, a lady wrote this right before Mother's Day. She said, as a teen mom of a premature baby, I can say I never once had the thought of abortion cross my mind when I was just 17. What crossed my mind was, wow. I need to grow up. Wow, I need to get with it. God gave me the strength, and I am becoming, she said, God give me the strength. I'm becoming a mom, quote unquote. My daughter, she said, was born two months premature on top of me being a teen mom. She spent over a month in the neonatal NICU. Imagine this amazing environment that little babies' lives are saved in every day. Boy, I've been in one, and they are amazing. Yet in another room, they have just discarded a baby, ripped it from the uterus in whatever pieces the abortionist can grab while dismembering body parts. I would like to point out the fact that we are here today living and breathing because no matter the circumstance our mothers were in, they went through with our pregnancy and kept us, had us, brought us through the growing process to be born in this world. There was a Jewish Holocaust, Armenian Holocaust, Bosnian Holocaust, Rwandan Holocaust, and on and on and on. However, the Holocaust of the unborn has far surpassed any other numbers insurmountable. Women can continue to say, my body, my choice. Gianna Jensen and Melissa Odin, those are two women who their parents tried to abort them, but they survived the abortion and were allowed to live. Gianna Jensen, you can look them up on YouTube and hear their story. Gianna with a G, Jensen, and Melissa Odin, O-H-D-E-N, are two amazing women who have survived this Holocaust and lived to speak for all these unheard voices. They were both babies who survived saline abortions in the 1970s and are now along with myself in their 40s my beautiful daughter's 28 now and has given me a beautiful granddaughter on this side of the womb when you take a life it is considered murder 
in the womb when life is ended is justified by a, an opinion. I was married once uh, many years ago, and when I began to think about pro-life, which I hadn't been, been before, even though I was in church, I got converted when I was almost 20, 22 years of age. So several years later, I the abortion came to be really a hot topic. And so I looked at it, I thought, I, I think I'm pro-life. And my wife said she wasn't. And I thought, oh, you know, that's a bummer when your wife and you don't see things eye to eye, right? But then one day she, she had visited her mother and she must have had a talk with her mother and her mother happened to comment to her. She said her mother, my, my wife's mother said to her, she said, oh, I was going to, I got pregnant with you out of wedlock and, uh, and I was going to abort you. I thought about it, but I decided to keep you. And that totally changed my ex-wife's view on abortion. In other words, when she realized that she was on supposedly, quote unquote, the chopping block, she was thankful her mom kept her, right? And so it makes a big difference if uh, you realize that uh, your mom could have done that and thought about doing that, but decided to uh, spare you instead. Well, I was going to, um, I was going to read something to you, if I can find it here quickly. Otherwise, I'll read it after we take a break in a minute, because it's a really, it's an article that really had a powerful impact on me. Um, and then I've been flipping through these pages. I don't know, have you, have you ever looked at the, the magazine called Range? It's called, just called Range. And what happened is uh, I was on the radio a number of years ago, and some guys out of Chico in Butte County used to call me all the time. And these guys said, hey, you need to look, get this Range magazine. It's actually just called Range, the Cowboy Spirit on American Outback. Now, there's a lot about the, the Wild Wild West and how, how America started. But the, it's an amazing magazine, and I've been subscribing to it and buying subscriptions for my friends ever since. It's, it's one of the most interesting magazines I've ever read. And it talks about the spirit of America and the early founders and the, the people that lived in the West. Ranchers, sheep herders, cattle, horses. So I think... Uh, he said, let me just read this to you. So it's rest in pieces. It's called rest in pieces. This article by Lee Pitts. <clears throat> he says, America was preceded in death by common sense, decency, freedom, hard work, thrift, and good manners. He says, if the obituary of our country is ever written, this is how it might read. United States of America, July 4, 1776 to November 4, 2046, 270 years of age, the last of the great superpowers died quietly at home, surrounded by 350 million greedy, spoiled offspring. She has been in hospice care for 30 years. She didn't die from a Chinese nuclear bomb, election-tampering Russians, or global warming, but had become fat and lazy in her old age, squandering the wealth generations before had created. On life support by mutual agreement, the money-grabbing family members pulled the plug on the greatest experiment in democracy, 
liberty, and freedom to have ever lived. An autopsy revealed she died of natural causes including apathy, laziness, political correctness, self-indulgence, sloth, and corruption. Conceived in garages, machine shops, farms, and ranches, America was born in Little Italy, the Barrios, Chinatown, African-American ghettos, and Hell's Kitchen, Irish and Mormon communities on Ellis Island, under, upon the plains, and in the great American West. She lived a life full of public service and proclaimed to the world, give us your tired, your poor, your huddled masses. Condolences poured in from around the world from those who were saved by her armies, her doctors, and her farmers. Foreign leaders remembered America as a loyal neighbor who always spoke her mind, but who gave up her sons and her daughters willingly so that the others might be freed from the wicked rule of ruthless despots, murdering dictators, and barbarous ayatollahs. A veteran of foreign wars, her sons stormed the beaches of Normandy, and her daughters nursed the world sick back to health. She willingly gave her bombs and her blood to conquer bullies like Hitler, Stalin, Hussein, bin Laden, and countless others. After she'd, been, uh, after she'd beaten them in battle, she literally gave the shirt off her back to rebuild their cities and their, and their economies. During her life, she adopted countless refugees from the, around the world, gave sanctuary to the United Nations, and her farmers and ranchers fed billions who would have died otherwise. With only 5% of the world's population and 6% of its land, she produced 20% of everything man-made on Earth. She gave the world Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, and Google, and birthed the tech and the green revolutions. She taught the world how to farm. Her engineers and her scientists invented ways to remove much of the drudgery from work. Her teachers educated the world's most highly intelligent, and her doctors, missionaries, and volunteers kept famine and disease at bay. Americans passing left, uh, passing left many unanswered questions. Who will be willing to sacrifice their sons and daughters the next time a global bully tries to massacre an entire race? Who will freely give trillions of dollars when hurricanes, earthquakes, or despotic dictators leave a path of human destruction behind? Who will seek out and destroy the terrorists who want to murder everyone who doesn't worship their God? Who will tear down the walls that communism built or be a sanctuary for refugees who have nowhere else to turn? Who will entertain the world or spawn the next generation of Disney's, Job's, Gates, or Bezos? Who will say to the world's unfortunate and poor, follow us and we will lift you up? America was preceded in death by common sense decency, freedom, hard work, thrift, and good manners. She is survived by 50 states which suffer from the same deadly disease. The pallbearers were a corrupt career politician, a millennial on a skateboard staring at his cell phone, a representative of the transgender community who didn't know which bathroom to use, a homeless father who sired five kids and then ditched them, a Hollywood celebrity who made gory movies and violent video games but blamed the Second Amendment every time a teenager tried to kill as many of his classmates as he could in 10 minutes, the CEO of a corporation which didn't pay taxes and stashed his cash overseas, and a quarterback who made millions of dollars playing a game in the good old USA but wouldn't even stand for her flag or her national anthem. There will be no graveside service as America lost her faith decades ago, instead of flowers, go to church, a synagogue, or a mosque. 
and say your prayers for the rest of the world. The writer of this was a guy named Lee Pitts. He writes monthly, or I think it's every other month this comes out, the, the, the range, it's called Range. He lives in Los Osos, California, and he writes books at Lee Pitts Books, P-I-T-T-S, Lee Pitts books.com and uh but if you want to if you want to get a subscription you can go online to range i don't have the i'll get the website here in a minute for you but you can go to wait 1-800-RANGE the, just spell out the word on your phone 1-800-RANGE for the number four and the letter u range for you 1-800-RANGE for you go make a donation to this there's all kinds of articles of the quality the quality that I just read to you right there. I'm just looking for the website, but I can't find it. Anyway, it's not that hard to find. So uh, they, you won't find a better quality magazine uh, to, to speak out and uh, make an impact. And I, it's, I just look forward to reading it every time. Let me just say this. I got a couple minutes before the break. I want to read you a couple quotes. They have this one page that's amazing quotes, facts and quotes. Thomas Sowell, you know Thomas Sowell, he's a famous writer, uh, economist, and uh, social theorist, and he, 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 you know, he's on various high-profile type educational uh, boards like the Hoover, uh, Hoover Group down at Stanford University. He says, it's hard to imagine a more stupid, a more dangerous way of making decisions, and by putting those decisions in the hands of people who pay no price for being wrong. You ever thought of that? These legislators make these decisions that screw things up. Like we got, we got whole Northern California burning down. No one pays. No one that, that doesn't backwash on anybody. They don't pay any penalties for making. They let let criminals out of jail. Guys have been murderers and rapists. They go right out and rape a woman. They don't pay any consequence of that. No consequence. I like Winston Churchill. I went and saw the movie Churchill. Did you see that? It was great. He says, you must put your head into the lion's mouth if the performance is to be a success. People say to me, Lou, how come you say the things you do? You're going to get shot. You're going to, how come you write the things you do and put your name out? You're going to get shot. I thought, hey, I'm not trying to make a performance. I'm just trying to, uh, in fact, I, was, I had to go get some physical therapy today. And I was telling the physical therapist, I said, honestly, man, uh, we better get some wood on the ball before we get out of here. Or this thing is going to be a real screwed up mess. Uh a real screwed up mess. Albert Hubbard, you ever heard of Albert Hubbard? He wrote a book called, it's a tiny book. You can read it with a cup of coffee in your hand, finish the whole thing. Just a few pages. It used to be, it was a newspaper article at one time, just one article. He said, every man is, it's called a message to Garcia. I forgot to tell you that message to Garcia. You got to read it. If you, if you are particularly if you're an employer or employee, every man is a damn fool for at least five minutes a day. Wisdom consists of not exceeding that limit. Well, uh, I take a break. If you're new to this, I take a break about every 30 minutes and play a couple clips, educational clips on you that I've searched for. And I'm going to play you uh, an NRA clip. And uh, Thomas Sowell, who I just read a quote from him, Thomas Sowell is talking about global warming and Al Gore. And then I'll be right back after I just knock down, you know, water down the, the pavement on my throat. Be right back. Let's 
listen to that Duquesne whistle blowing Blowing like it's gonna sweep my world away I'm gonna stop in Carbondale and keep on going I know you're watching, so pay attention. You hate my freedom, my religion, and my country. You hate me for speaking my mind. You try to control me with violence and intimidation. You think you can muzzle me with fear? Don't ever confuse me for my politicians or my media. I am an American, free-born and free-bred, and I will call you out for who you are, an Islamic extremist who would kill me for my beliefs. You don't intimidate me. My freedom is more powerful than anything you can possibly do. And I will never, never surrender my rights to your terror. I will say what I think, worship according to my beliefs, and raise my children how I see fit. And I defend it all with the Second Amendment to the Constitution of the United States. I cower to no one because I am the National Rifle Association of America, and I am freedom's safest place. is the latest in a long, almost never-ending series of crusades. I've forgotten how many millions of dollars he's made out of this. The first, the first column I ever wrote more than 30 years ago was titled The Prophets of Doom, P-R-O-F-I-T-S, of Doom. And so the same, it's the same phenomenon uh, today. I mean, there is, there is money in this stuff. You have to pretend to be certain, because otherwise you'll get no support for what you're doing. I mean, you go around saying, well, I, I think there'll be global warming. Well, that, that, there's no money in that. <laughs> I mean, there's no votes in that. I mean, what, what you know, I, I just talked to God and he told me that it's going to be global warming. Now, let's set up a multi-billion dollar program to stop it. So many places where they've had record low temperatures. They had snow in Houston, the earliest they've ever had. Uh, the, 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 last, the last last record for something like this was like five inches. They got 20 inches. I mean, every, and what used to amuse me a lot in recent years is when they ask, uh, schedule a global warming conference and they have to cancel it because of the cold. You know, I mean, it's just, but it, it just doesn't make a dent. Imagine if you're an assistant professor uh, in, uh, in meteorology or climatology, uh, and uh, you, you, you think that global warming is a crock, and, and the full professors who are going to vote on your tenure and whatnot uh, are getting millions of dollars in grants. I mean, how eager are you going to be to burst into print and saying it's all nonsense? Thomas Sowell. He's got great books. Uh, you know, the two economists I like the best, and I, I, I love books on economics. And uh, you ever work, read the book Freakonomics came out 15 years ago? You know, you have these you have these concepts of how life works. And then really smart people study that and tease out the statistics and tell you, well, it, it seems like it, it all plays out that way. Or this is what's happening. But really, this is what's happening over here. It's very fascinating. And so the a couple of my favorite guys that I, I stumble across on, I watch a lot of YouTube um, 
lectures and clips and interviews, and one of them's Tom Soule, one of them's Walter Williams. They're very, very smart guys, and they both happen to be black, but the black uh, people that have an agenda, uh, a black agenda, they don't like these guys because they they don't, um, <clears throat> they're true intellectuals who don't let color color them. They, they don't they don't let color color their views. Got it. And so they just tell you the truth, whether it, it fits into into blacks or whites or greens or whoever. So that's Thomas Sowell and Walter Williams. We love to play clips by them and also quote them as well. Uh, I was before we took a break, I was uh, reading some, some quotes out of out of range. And um, I'm going to talk a little bit about immigration in, in a bit. Uh, a couple segments down, but it says here, Gallup poll uh, late in 2018, it says in a global survey of 152 countries, I think there's something like 210 or 220 nations in the world. It says in among 152 countries, 15% of the world's adults are 750 million, 15% say they would move to another country if they could. You remember that? You remember what they, the folks said, I don't know how, what the percentage was, but they said if Donald Trump's elected president, I'm moving to somewhere. I'm moving here. I'm moving there. I'm moving out of this, this country, right? Moving to Canada, moving to Mexico, something. I don't think any of them actually left. So, uh, but here it says 15% of this 152 countries population would like to move to another country if they could. I don't know what that means, whether they could get the visa or whether they could financially, uh, handle it. But it says the U S remains the most desired destination with 20, 21% of potential migrants. Roughly 180, 158 million adults said if they could, they'd come here. You're seeing some uh, evidence of that at the southern border, right? If you believe the right people. Uh, the 158 million, they said they would want to move to this country. Canada and Germany are the second and third choices uh, with 6% each. Just thought that one might, might be interest to you. And, uh, oh, by the way, I was mentioning a message to Garcia with Albert Hubbard. And, and this is what I read right before the break. Elbert died in 1915. He was a real writer, just American writer and newspaper man. Every man is a damn fool for at least five minutes every day. Wisdom consists of not exceeding that limit. But, but you know, the, the Bible, they say, is uh, folks say, is the most published book or printed book in the world. Uh, there's more printed it's the top of the charts every year. You know, you have the New York Times bestseller list, but the Bible can consistently print most. The second book is Message to Garcia, I'm told. And it's it's been done in many, many languages. And I can't remember whether it was in, let's see, he died in 1915. I can't remember when he wrote it, but I, uh, a police officer turned me on to it named Steve Scarano, who lives down in Oceanside. He turned me on to it, and it, it just had such an impact on me. Honestly, you can read it in about five or six minutes. It's just a newspaper article made into a small book. And uh, and it, it, it all surrounds Albert Hubbard and a discussion with his boys at the dinner table one night on who the real hero of the Mexican-American War was. That sounds like an odd thing. Do you even know anything about the Mexican-American War? I don't really. I'd have to look it up. But they discussed... What really matters? It's really what really matters at the end of the day, right? And it, and they related it to employer, employee, uh, what the qualities of a good employee is or qualities of a good soldier are. 
Albert Hubbard, Message of Garcia. You can get it a used. You can get them. They're they're all over the place. Very, it'd be a very cool gift for a young person. Uh, I remember when I worked at Church of Glad Tidings for I don't know twenty years. I gave one to the my good friend, the pastor out there, Dave Bryan, and and he bought one and used to give it out to employees all the time, new employees. So, well, uh, here we go. We're in our second. We do six uh, sec- segments, uh, thirty about thirty minutes apiece. And so uh, here we go. I told you I was going to talk about water. Uh, one of my favorite, or I got lots of authors that I think are really good writers that I enjoy. Yeah, I say favorite, you know, I, I don't really know these people, but you read their articles, you think, oh, I enjoyed reading that. This lady's name is Katie, K-A-T-Y Grimes, G-R-I-M-E-S. And uh, she writes, I, her, her articles pop up all over the place, but it says here at the end of an article that she is editor of the California Globe, is a long-time, and she's a long-time investigative journalist covering the California State Capitol. There's a lot to cover over there. There's a lot of problems. And she's a co-author of California's War Against Donald Trump, Who Wins and Who Loses. So Katie Grimes wrote an article recently about water. And California, I tell people that are are new to here or youngsters that are just growing up, I said, you know, California, the reason we have all these dams, you say, oh, we don't want any dams. You should just let nature have its course. I was riding with a guy the other day, and he said, you know, man just destroys everything. I said, oh, really? I said, I said actually, we pr- improved the Sacramento Valley. And he said, oh, how's that? I said, well, I, plant, I planted 8,000 pomegranate trees. You, you remember the story about Johnny Appleseed, right? And I said, you know, the whole idea, if you plant a plant, it gives off oxygen and it and it takes in carbon dioxide. So that's a good thing, right? He said, yeah. I said, you like to you like to breathe, right? You like oxygen. He said, oh, yeah. And so I said, carbon dioxide, you can't really live on that. So the, the plant lives on that. So if, if I I said, do you think that the uh, the, the state of California would, had more trees before or after humans? And he said he it, it stumped him because he knew where I was going. And I told him I said, Captain, I said just drive up and down the valley. One of these orchards, these these various orchards, whether it's a prune orchard or walnut orchard, almond orchard, there's this peach orchard up here. I mean, there's just man, if you get up here in pollen time, you have an allergy. It's going to kick your rear. But there's just millions of trees that planted by human beings. And before it would just been brush and and just a mess up here. And so I said, hey, we actually have more trees up here than we we had before people, right? And before the indigenous people got here first. Some people say, well, they just sprung out of the ground. Those indigenous, those Maidus and all those people up here in California, they were here when they say they were here first. Well, how did they get there? Well, people people migrated to California, to the United States, right? They, they didn't start here. You know— Right? You study evolution? Do you believe that? You came from a monkey? Well, even they, they don't believe they started over here. The Bible says that the first people were created in the Middle East, right? So think about it. They started over there, and, they, and, and God said to expand and cover the whole earth. Just keep on multiplying and cover the whole earth. Take off. In fact, Jesus says when he was uh, resurrected. He says, listen, I want you to leave Jerusalem and go throughout the whole earth. Some of those people didn't even know what the whole earth looked like. There was no photos. Think about that for a moment. 
So uh, Katie Grimes is writing an, an article. She wrote it on May 8th, just the other day. Californians face residential water rationing next year following record 2019 snowpack. Now, in, in California, what's, and it's the same thing that happened in Israel. When the Israelis were allowed to move back to Israel, what was it, 1948, 49? And there was water, but, and there was desert. And if you put water on the desert, the ground grew anything. And so they came up, they were the first ones to come up with drip, remember drip irrigation. And we didn't even think about drip irrigation back in the 60s or 70s and microjet irrigation. And, and so the uh, Israelis use all these conservation methods and greenhouses and do, do, do these amazing crops in this Israel that, that other ethnic groups couldn't figure out what to do, but they pulled off all these amazing things. So in California, what made California boom was management of the water. You ever know anybody that makes a lot of money but had, doesn't have anything to show for it? It just kind of goes through their hands like sand. It's the same thing about California. California is sort of a desert climate in the south. We get just five, six, seven inches of rain down some of those south areas, L.A., and up north here, we'll get, in the valley, we'll get 20 to 25 on a good year, inches of rain. You get up, go just up into the Sierra Nevada foothills, and it'll double and triple that. Lots of water comes down up here. And it just gets into rivers, and they it floods. In fact, some floods have been recorded where the entire valley was flooded, they think, before uh, a lot of people moved in here from, from the east coast and moved over here. Uh, when it was primarily just indigenous people living here, that they believed that the water went from the coast range of California all the way over the Sierra Nevada. That's amazing. Like a sea. It was like a sea across the, the whole valley. So the key to to making California so profitable, which is called the breadbasket of the world, grows some of the most fantastic uh, food in the world here from fresh vegetables to rice walnuts fantastic food and so the key was to manage the water and to hold back the water so all the water just doesn't come down and get out to the sea and then it's gone forever then you're just you're just counting on the rain i have a friend right now that's trying to teach the Cambodians how to grow rice. And one of the problems is they just were dependent on when it rains, if they had a, if they had a fortunate year or a lucky year, if you want to look at it that way, rice would, they have a good rice crop and they were hoping that they'd get it not too little rain and not too much rain. Cause they, either way it would screw up the rice. And so a lot of the rice crops, they got too little or too much. They needed just enough. The way we give just enough is because we manage the water, control the water, and then then let the water on through ditches or through sprinklers or something, and we were able to give just enough, produce a tremendous crop, da-da-da. And um, so when we have, a, it's like my dad told me, you know, when just because you make a lot of money doesn't mean you're going to need to go out and, and spend it, save it. So in California... Governor Brown, Jerry Brown, who just left office, his father, Pat Brown, came up with others of the California Water Project, which said, hey, we have 
the water comes down, but it just gets out to sea. And then we go back to six, eight months, nine months of no water. So let's store it and dish it out um, in the right amounts and you and be able to use the water year round. Right. It's like you like construction workers have. They work for about eight months out of the year and before the rain hits and they store up all that money and then they live on the rest of the year. Right. That's just wisdom. I mean, that's just you can learn that from the the ant, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs. So Katie Grimes says nearly a year ago, Governor Brown signed a pair of bills creating permanent residential water rationing standards throughout California. You know why? Because he could and because he doesn't like the fact that you can just use as much as you want. Right. That's freedom. Right. Freedom is if you want to eat 18 apples for dinner instead of a steak, you can do that, right? Or if you want to eat a piece of fish, you can eat that. You want to eat a potato, you can eat that. You want to eat, you want to have double portion, you can eat that. If you can afford it in a free country, you can have that, right? There's enough money around, you can go work, you can have that. It's freedom. If you want to go to eat at Burger King, you can go to Burger King. If you want to eat at a fancier sit-down restaurant, not such fast food, you can do that. But the way the government is in a socialist government, they tell you what you can and cannot do. And they try to convince you that that's for the that's for some global noble cause. It's called noble cause corruption. You ever heard of that corruption and of a noble cause? So they passed a bill, Senate Bill 606 by Bob Hertzberg. He was one of those guys that got accused of molesting women down there, Bob Hertzberg. And uh, so they, before Jerry Brown left office, they imposed, even though it took, in other words, their assumption, it, it wasn't an assumption. They can't see the future, whether we're going to have a lot or a little water. It didn't matter to them. They just simply said, we think you shouldn't have the freedom to use as much water as you want. So we're going to limit you how much you can use in your household. So I, I, I take a bottle of water to the gym with me and occasionally it's a small bottle and I refill it out of the faucet over there. And, but I see people carrying a big old gallon jug. There's no law that says you have to use a gallon jug or you have to use my, whatever it is, 15, 16 ounce. But here, you know, they've had these laws. So we have law now in, in Yuba County. I know they made this law or they say it's a state law where, if a bunch of high school cheerleaders want to pay their way to a big cheerleader competition, they want to raise their own money instead of begging for it. They want to work for it. They cannot get together and invite you to stop on a Saturday and pull into a parking lot and let them wash your car and you make a donation. You can't do that here. Did you know that? But you could take your same car home and get out the water hose. And if you have a, a on and off switch on the water hose, you got to have one of those. You can't let the water just run, right? You got to have a switch and then you can water your, you can wash your own car using the same water out of the same underground aquifer as the cheerleaders are just a few blocks away, but you can't do it over there and let the water just run into the gutter and down into the sewer. You could do it in front of your own house, but you can't do it with them and, and do a bunch of cars in bulk. Isn't that stupid? That's stupid socialism. So so uh, Laura Friedman, she's a Democrat in Glendale, California, and Bob Hertzberg, he's the molester. Uh, he's from Democrat Los Angeles. He and she uh, 
got an indoor water consumption limit that beginning in 2020, you can only use 55 gallons a day. Seem like a lot to you? Well, I think I can do fine on it, actually. That's indoor water use. Now, I, I like to have a nice yard. I don't have a big yard. It's postage stamp, but I like to have green and I like to have shrubs. And that's where most of my water goes. I'm just a single guy, right? But if you've got four or five kids and you're taking showers every day, et cetera, et cetera, you might, you might run through a lot more water, right? So anyway, this bill establishes an indoor water use standard of 55 gallons per, per capita per daily until 2025. And in 2025 until 2030, the indoor use goes down to 52.5 gallons. And then starting in 2030, it drops again to 50 gallons per day. Do you have any basis to say, well, that's good or bad? Some people believe the radical environmentalists, people that think that the problem in the earth, like my gentleman was riding, a young teenager I was riding with the other day, he said the problem on the earth is per, a people. And I said, well, how did you get, where'd you get that perspective? Well, they screw everything up. And I said, well, what if God created the earth and created it for mankind to be on here and he's okay with it? Not okay with people that dump oil into the water stream or poison or who light things on fire, but he's okay with people using the earth and he'll take care of fixing the earth. Right? So some people think, well, we ought to just not give man any water. Screw man, mankind. Right? Hope all hope most of them die. You know, people that say that always feel like they're the ones that should live. Right? So let me give you some perspective. South Africa is known as a water-stressed country, the entire country. And so because of that, now, now California is not water-stressed. We get water, but if we do not manage it, like even with the dams we have throughout California, if the water is not, still we could use more dams and we could manage more water. Do you know that the water project that was designed in the 1950s and 60s and built in the 60s, it was designed for about less than 20 million people. Do you know how many we have now? We have over 40, almost 40 million people. The same water project designed for about 20 million people is now assisting 40 million people. So are we out of water? We're not out of water. And there's some myths and lies that are being uh, passed around that I'll explain to you in a second. This is really an interesting deal. There's plenty of water. It's just not being managed. It's like saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. You, you know, you lived on $20,000 a year, but you bought property and you invested money and you now you have millions. And the guy that made $100,000 a year doesn't have anything to show for it. The difference was how the money was managed. So South Africa is a water-stressed country, and it limits its citizens to a maximum of what? how many gallons a day? 50 gallons. Check it out. South Africa, water-stressed country. California is not a water-stressed state. It's only artificially water-stressed by politicians. They call themselves Democrats. So California's 2019 Sierra snowpack was measured at 500 inches and is on record at 188% of normal. That all turns to like bajillion gallons of water and, and smart people much smarter than me 
know how much money that's worth, right? When you look at money. But most of that water just goes right out to the ocean, and it just makes the environmentalists so happy. They clap their hands and jump up and down and drink a Budweiser or something. So rather than build much-needed and already approved water projects, for less than the cost of implementing these regulations, these brown-shirt Nazi fascist regulations, uh they they don't want they don't want to create more storage they just want more control they want people to just sip water don't drink big gulps just sip it and don't be water in your yard let it all die and put in concrete so since 2000 californians this is amazing if you think oh we have the legislation and everybody's honest and everybody's fair so if we vote for something it's actually going to happen i'm just shocked in my last 10 years how f- few times that voters vote for something and politicians actually do what they say to do. They just ignore it or they take them to court and overrule it. In California, since 2000, 18 years now, Californians have voluntarily voted water bonds. That means to tax themselves, totaling $30 billion. Can you imagine going out and taking out $30 billion in loans? And they approved the construction of two more dams. Do you think any dams have been built? Nope. Most of these water bonds have gone for union payoffs, building bike trails, protecting some little creature, horse trails. You know, I don't know. I have not met anybody in California that rides to work on a bike trail or on a horse trail. They just don't. People bike, people ride horses, but they don't use that every day, right? They use cars, minivans, da-da-da, you know, they're running around all over town. So, but we passed eight bonds, $30 million, $30 billion, and we're paying them off. And do you think we got any benefits for them? We got screwed. That's what happened. On May 9, 2016, Brown signed an executive order to make water conservation a way of life. Isn't that, it sounds like so much like a communist country. This is going to be your way of life. Why? Why does it have to be my way of life? Why can't I drink as much water and use as much water? If I'm willing to pay for the water, why can't I have as much as I want? Right? It's like going down and saying, and and you're going to go for your birthday, and you say, you ate a big, beautiful meal, and you say, I want some ice cream. And the guy says, you can't have any ice cream. You the waiter says, you can't have any ice cream. So why is that? Because you already ate too many calories. You, are, you ate your maximum calories of the day, so you should have not ate as much steak and potatoes and salad. Otherwise, then you could have had some ice cream, but no ice cream for you. The ice cream Nazis, that's what they are. So Governor Brown, because at one time he wanted to be some kind of a celibate priest, or a Zen Buddhist, somehow he wants us to be all Zen Buddhists with him. and uh, But he doesn't ever go without. You know, Governor Brown doesn't ever go without. So, uh, so now we have all this future water rationing legislation. So let me tell you the big lie. There's a, a lie that's repeated every day here. And it says this, farmers, those damn farmers, they eat up and waste 80% of California's water. And I always think, hey, those do, you know, 
there's a joke that about liberals that a lot of them think they can get rid of farmers because they can just go to the store and buy the food. Think about that. So these damn farmers, they use 80% of California's water. You think, is, is that true? You know, you're not out there measuring the gallonage going down the river, not far from your house. This is continually repeated by the environmentalists. It's 100% inaccurate. It's a manipulated figure. <clears throat> so Devin Nunes, who you probably be getting familiar, familiar with on national TV because he's been right involved in this Russian collusion, trying to get to the bottom of it. He's a representative, a conservative from the state of California, congressman. He said the statistic, 80% of California's water is wasted by farmers. The statistics is manufactured, made up by environmentalists to distract from the incredible damage their policies have caused in the state of California. Nunes is from a farm district down in the Central Valley, south of us here. He's, he goes on to say environmentalists have manufactured the 80% statistic deliberately, excluding environmental diversions from their calculations. In other words, they don't include the fact of how much water is can't be touched and is just allowed to go from the air to the ground, run down a stream, and we can't touch it. It's got to go right out. We can't have cattle watering, horses watering. We can't pull it out and water an orchard and let it go back in. Can't do that. He says, furthermore, in many years, there are additional millions, millions of acre feet of water. That's one acre, one feet deep, right? An acre foot is one acre, one feet deep, one foot deep. A millions of acre feet of water that are simply flushed into the ocean due to a lack of storage capacity, right? It's like saying, oh, you can't put in your money in the bank. You've already, you filled everything up. You don't have any money. Or it's, it's like you're, you're wanting to store up food for the winter and you ran out of mason jars, right? You ran out of storage capacity. Millions of acre feet of water are flushed into the ocean due to a lack of storage capacity, all because environmental groups will not allow they how how do they not allow it? They pay off politicians to vote for them, right? So this is a great quote: "Droughts are uh, droughts are not man's fault; they're nature's fault. They are naturally occurring phenomenon, but its water shortage is the fault of government officials." I'll give you an example. So my friend Dave Greenitz, he he supports this program. He has Greenitz Construction. Now, when the downturn in the economy happened because of the Democrats loaning money to people that couldn't afford to pay it back, that was back in 2007 at the end of Bush's reign and before Obama took over. When that when that recession ha happened, that was not Greenitz Construction's fault. Uh, that recession was the fault of government officials, right? But if Dave Greenitz had a problem running his business, that would have been his fault because he didn't set aside money for the, for the lean times, right? If you're a smart finance guy, you always protect yourself from the lean times when you might get sick, your wife might get sick, your children might get sick and you, you have a lot of money going out and less people working. So you, pre, you prepare for the lean times, tough times. 
But if Dave Greenitz or some of my friends would have gone bankrupt, that would have been on them. They didn't create the crisis, but their response to the crisis would have been inhibited if they hadn't prepared for a crisis of some sort to come. So it says droughts are nature's fault. They are not. They are naturally occurring phenomenon. But water shortages are the fault of government officials' negligence. Grimes goes on to state that California has significantly invested in water storage, has, hasn't, has not invested in water so- storage since the 70s when Jerry Brown was governor the first time. That, and they were finishing out what his dad started. So he introduced the era of limits. And, and he said, hey, it, the days are over when you can have a green lawn. He says, small, we need to embrace small is beautiful. But since then, they didn't. It's interesting that the liberals would not restrict the population. You just think, hey, we want to. We're not going to expand anything, and uh, so therefore, we're we're going to put a cap on the state population at 20 million, and no one can move in unless someone moves out, right? But they didn't do that. They let as many people come as want. In fact, they don't even want to have a border. They want to have Mexicans and anybody that can get to the Mexican border from anywhere in the United States come without any inhibition okay so uh we're at the end of our second um break and i'm going to uh you're going to hear a clip on five stories the media was afraid to tell you about this week i'm going to play that and i'm going to take a swig of liquid here and then i'll be right back media was afraid to tell you about the news this week. This week, while the mainstream media obsessed over Donald Trump's tax returns from 30 years ago, here are the things that happened that really matter. Zero congressional Democrats have viewed the mostly unredacted version of the Mueller report. Attorney General Barr has made this mostly unredacted version available to Democratic leadership upon request. 99.9% of volume two, the obstruction part, is available to read in this version. It only contains seven redactions. But still, the six Democrats who have access to it, none have viewed it. Instead, they hold Attorney General Barr in contempt of Congress for not violating the law and revealing the legally mandated redacted grand jury information. But did the mainstream media report this to you? Did the mainstream media call out the left for accusing Attorney General Barr of a cover-up of the report when the Democrats haven't even read the mostly unredacted version of the report for themselves? Nope, the mainstream media didn't say a word. In California, the State Department of Education has begun to implement new standards for sex education in public schools. Under this new framework, kindergartners are now being taught about transgenderism. Middle schoolers are being taught how to masturbate, and teenagers are being taught about anal sex and bondage. Parents can't opt out of this graphic and obscene sexual material either. The radical leftists in the California Department of Education claim that teaching kindergartners about transgenderism is a civil rights issue. Meanwhile, there's no scientific information being taught about transgenderism, No information in this framework about the suicide rate for transgender people after surgery or the fact that it stays the same. 
No information on the rate of minors who outgrow gender dysphoria if they aren't encouraged to transition. That rate would be 80 to 90% who outgrow. No information about counseling for transgender students to address very common comorbid mental disorders. But did the mainstream media report on this? Nope, the mainstream media is complicit with the left in sexualizing our children in order to push the radical leftist gender identity agenda. Democratic Congresswoman Ilhan Omar has ties to the Muslim American Society, the same organization who published the video of Muslim children chanting about cutting off the heads of infidels to please Allah. Omar had the president of the Muslim American Society, Minnesota chapter, stand next to her when she was sworn into the Minnesota House of Representatives in 2017. She spoke at the Muslim American Society Muslim Day also in 2017, and she has not disavowed them in the wake of this video of children chanting about killing non-Muslims. But did the mainstream media report on this? Nope. The mainstream media ignores the radical anti-Semitism of the Democratic Party. The New York Times published a piece about Donald Trump losing billions of dollars in his businesses in the late 1980s and early 1990s. The Times presented this story as if it were a bombshell that proved that Trump was a fraud or something. But actually, the piece was not a bombshell. It wasn't a smoking gun either. It wasn't even original reporting. Trump himself told this story on the first episode of The Apprentice, how he lost a ton of money, billions of dollars, and then he earned it back and more and build his brand after failure. And did the mainstream media call out their own for lame, unoriginal, clickbait reporting? No, no, they did not. The mainstream media did not say a single word. The Planned Parenthood Clinic in Philadelphia, where Pennsylvania Democratic State Representative Brian Sims bullied women and threatened to dox three teenage girls because they are pro-life, failed 13 of the past 23 health inspections including failure to report child sex abuse, the statutory rape of an 11-year-old girl, improperly stored aborted baby body parts, unsterile instruments, blood stains on their carpet and chairs, failure to do physicals on patients before anesthesia, no background checks on their employees, and failure to report a serious injury to a patient, among others. But did the mainstream media report on these dangerous conditions that could and did and do hurt women? Nope, the mainstream media was silent. The mainstream media doesn't care to report any of that to you. So we will. And that's my final point. Don't talk about the way you walk. Don't talk about the way you stride. Line filled with confidence. This king had never been no friend. Talk, talk about the way you strut. Talk, talk about the way you move. King and lions proud the floor. Smooth moves when you dig in that groove. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. And that should have got your attention. Uh, the media today, we were talking about, where was I? It was somebody yesterday. And, and we were talking about how the media just doesn't report the news anymore. They just, they 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 have an agenda. And, and uh you can't believe anything. Their lips are moving, but they the truth isn't coming out. So I was talking before the break about the water thing in this great article by Katie Grimes. And, um, I, and I mentioned how Brown in 1975, a brand new governor, young governor, maybe the youngest in history of California at that time, he wanted to do this small as beautiful. But they they wanted to dial back. I don't we don't want to build any freeways, no more roads, no, no more improvements. Uh, 
yeah, we'll do the hippie thing. We'll do bike trails, horse trails, da-da-da-da. Uh, no more dams, no more, no more water, no management of water, but, uh, but we're not going to manage the population. So, so Grimes says, according to scientists, the hydrologists, that's people that study water, more than 55%, more than 50% of the state's water resources are allowed to flow out into the bay, to the Pacific Ocean. You, environmentalists will say 80% of, of water is being eaten up by farmers. Totally a lie. Big time lie. Not even close. 50% of the state's water resources are allowed to just walk right, go right down the stream, go right out to the Pacific Ocean because of what they call the San Joaquin River Settlement, which caused the loss of agricultural water supply by a lawsuit that was filed by the National Resources Defense Council. These guys are radical environmentalists. They got a judge to say what I just said. To, and they convinced a judge who didn't know, he couldn't spell science, that if they don't give all that water to fish, little fish, that they wouldn't survive. And so fish are more important than people. Etc. So the lawsuit claimed that the Freont Dam violated environmental laws, and the outcome allows for anywhere between 250,000 360,000 acre feet of water to be specifically dedicated to fish habitat on the San Joaquin River, water that used to go to the agriculture. So about 50% of California's water goes to environmental purposes. That means it just goes down the river and out to the ocean, and then it gets brought up into the sky again through uh, evaporation, and then the cycle starts all over. But we just keep letting it go out. We, don't, we won't allow anybody to use it, right? It's kind of like saying people are starving, but there's food sitting right over there. And you said, no, that's going to be for animals and bugs and other things to eat, rats. But we're not, you can't eat it. It's like the Hindus in India. When I went to India, people were starving. But there were all these beautiful cattle. We could have shot them in the head, cut them up, barbecued. But they, the cattle were allowed to eat anywhere, stand out in the middle of the freeway, do whatever. But people would die. That's just what that is, is gross deception. So 50% of the water goes for environmental purposes. Of the rest of the water, I want you to listen to this. This is the truth. 10% of all water in California goes to urban uses for home and business. You think, oh my God, California must be packed shoulder to shoulder with people. It isn't. Up here in Northern California, there's lots of open spaces, even in Southern California. But there are big urban areas, but only 10% goes to urban uses for homes and businesses. Only 40% of the total 100% of all water goes for agriculture. And I'll tell you, it's used sparingly today because today we do very little flood irrigation. When I grew up here, I was born and raised up here. We used to work in irrigation and work in farming, all us youngsters in high school. And we used to do a lot of flood irrigation, put up what we call checks, dikes or checks, and we would flood it. Now they won't do that. They use these microjet irrigation and it just, it's much more efficient. So the fact is, environmentalists lie, saying 80% of all the water is going to farming, and when in fact 50% of all the water is just going for environmental purposes. That means it doesn't produce any food. It doesn't produce anything for human beings, right? Uh, 
So it's interesting that the California drought, uh, the most recent one we had was the years 2011 to 2016. The media deceptively called it the driest period in the state's recorded rainfall history. However, scientists who study the Western United States long-term climate patterns say just the opposite. It says California has been dry for significantly longer periods throughout history that they've studied. In fact, more than 200 years at a time in studying various, uh, you know, via earth science studies, more than 200 years at a time. And long before the industrial revolution, there has been California droughts far longer. So what's the point? Should we just let all the water go? What they're arguing about here is just saying, listen, the water is coming through our area. Why not manage it more uh, efficiently? So in 2016, following a year of near normal amounts of rain and snow, the drought was over. I mean, everybody knew the drought was over, except the government wouldn't. They would say, well, we're still in a drought. I mean, honestly, the dams, we were pouring water out of the dams into the rivers through these spillways, right? And the, the government politicians would say, nope, we're still in a drought. The ground was just sopping wet with water, mud. Nope, we're still in a drought. So he, he ordered, um, in, during that heavy water year, he ordered permanent urban, G Governor Brown, water restrictions, including bans on hosing down your driveway. I used to do this. I'd go out and hose down the concrete and the driveway, right? Hose off all the plants. Can't do that now in California. And you can't turn on the sprinklers. You know how you have automatic sprinklers? If they're on and it just rained, you, you're going to, the water Nazis are going to write you a ticket. So I, I don't I don't use uh, uh, water to wash down the driveway. I I think oh it's stupid. I don't use that much water anyway for that. But they I just got out of the habit. So anyway, he says. Uh, Katie says while California homeowners have had to parch their lawns and let them die, replace dead shrubs and trees with rock gardens, install low flow shower heads and toilets. I replace my toilets, cut water down. Just to save a few extra gallons of precious household water, the government wastes hundreds of billions of gallons of water each year, letting it rush to the ocean to assist bait fish and baby salmon, which swim there anyway. The ocean is the ocean. They're not going anywhere. The ocean isn't going down or going up. It's just like ridiculous. Literally, if you drive down I-5, if you're listening to this from Idaho or Missouri or Montana, you don't maybe know this, but I-5 used to be a really beautiful freeway. Now it's got potholes in it, but used to, we used to drive to Mexico on I-5. Big, fast freeway. No matter where you looked when you go down that freeway, all the way down with these fantastic farms growing amazing, amazing tons, thousands of tons of walnuts and almonds and grapes. And you drive down there now and it's just desolate. They just took the water. This farming, uh, this farming ruling, anti-farming ruling, took the water away and just said, "Nope, we've got to leave it in the river. Can't pump it over here and pump it onto this deal and feed the world." So, not only farmers. You think, "Oh well, rich farmers, I'll do go do something else." Yeah, no, they lost their property, and but thousands, tens of thousands of farm workers, the people that the liberals claim they love lost their jobs, entire cities shut down, small towns that served those farms left. 
just for a bait fish. Now, this is so fascinating. This year, Katie Grimes says five, you know, there's this argument over Chinook salmon. These salmon, they say, well, you know, back before there was mankind, salmon were up here. There was no proof of that. So this year, she said five Chinook salmon, adult salmon, were recorded swimming upstream to spawn. In water-starved California, that was quite an achievement given that each salmon required 50,000 gallons of water to get the job done, coming at a price tag of $890 million at the low end and $2 billion at the high end. According to an article wrote by Monica Showalter in the American Thinker, I'm going to go re- read that. Uh, and maybe you, if you're interested in water and farming and, and environmental, environmentalism, you might want to read that. Monica Showalter, Walter show Walter at American thinker. It's a magazine. And, uh, and she says, and that water came out of the hides of California farmers who got very little of the water they were promised and paid for as a result. That's some use of resources to get those five salmon to swim upstream. Show Walter said this came at a cost of $178 million per fish. Do you remember the shovel ready jobs that Obama swore he was going to make, you know, and many of those jobs, they gave money to corporations who went out of business. You know, these green corporations who gave him money to run for president. Then he gave them our tax money and to create these jobs. You know, when a business expands, like right now is happening throughout the United States under president Trump because of reduced regulations. When a business expands and adds employees, you know, that doesn't cost the taxpayer one nickel. But when government goes to try out, tr- go and try to do job training or pay somebody to to establish jobs, I think some of those jobs cost two hundred and fifty and three hundred thousand dollars, and they didn't even last. It's just totally, it's insanity. If you went to Napa State Hospital, which they tell me is still a place for the mentally ill, and somebody told you that, you would say that is totally insane to pay. million per fish to get them to go up a river that they they don't naturally go up. That's just, that's socialism gone wild. Have you been watching Venezuela, for goodness sakes? Oh my goodness, the suffering down there. And um, I I was going to take a couple Venezuelans, young people, college students with me to smuggle Bibles into China and uh, so they were all trying to get it organized to go. We were going to meet like in Hong Kong. And instead of them fly to the United States, if they could get a ticket, we just fly, said, hey, you don't even need to fuss with the United States. Or you could fly through L.A. All right, meet you in San Francisco. We could fly over together. You can meet me in Hong Kong. Anyway, there's lots of ways, right? And we we're going to operate out of Hong Kong. And they said, Lou, we can't get a... We, this is back before the, this was when Chavez was still in operation. He didn't die, right, before he died. But the country was going to pot, and there wasn't enough food on the shelves. And he said, we cannot buy an air ticket, airline ticket here, because you have to give the money to the government. I want you to think about this, all you socialists out there. You think, oh, I love socialism. They, they went and gave, if you, they said, if you give the money to the government for the ticket, you have to front them the money. They may not go get the ticket, and they may not give give your money back. So they were going to go to a neighboring nation in South America, to Venezuela, and get the ticket and travel by bus to this neighboring nation and fly out of there 
to go to Hong Kong to meet up with me. And finally, it just got so ridiculous because Venezuela was falling to pieces and where people couldn't even go down and buy any groceries. There weren't any groceries on the shelves. When Whatever government takes over, there's going to be a scarcity of it, right? Government has taken over the water. They create a scarcity. Is there a scarcity of water? There is not a scarcity of water in California. Government is wasting the water. If government takes over the bread, there'll be a shortage of bread. If they take over the diapers, shortage of diapers. Take, take over the medicine, shortage of medicine. People are dying. There's one story of a woman that her son was dying in the hospital because of the shortage of medicine. And the woman next door to the, in the next room over, her kid died. So she brought her medicine over, her leftover medicine, and used it on this kid to save this kid. That's, all, that's, that's socialism for you. This one quote I read on I, on social media, I, I love some of these quotes. I think, how that's so interesting that they just said that. He says, we hated, he said, we hated Obama like you hate Trump. Except we hated Obama because he hates America. And you hate Trump because you hate America. I thought, oh, that's well said. I like things that are well said. Do you like that? Somebody once said that if you're a writer, if you can, whatever you write, if you're able to write something and do it with less words, it's always more powerful. If you can say the same thought with fewer words, it has more pop. Sometimes you read things on social media, you think, oh, that's that person. That's an amazing way to say that right there. So um, I saw this cool, really cool article on social media, on the Internet about tattoo removal. You notice tattoo, tat, getting tattoos is a rage today. I'm amazed that older women are really going, actually going in and getting tattoos. Some people I know, I think, what in the world? You're going to go and get a tattoo? It, it, I, I just, I'm, I'm fascinated by people. I don't argue against it. I just think, oh, it's fascinating. It's not my body. They do what they want. But it, this thing of tattoos is, uh, I mean, I get it. You know, the military guys get tattoos. Gang members get cat tattoos and seen it for years okay so anyway this guy named dr cassidy who was a doctor in the yuba sutter area here for the last 25 30 years uh he's been working with addicts for many years and worked in the yuba county jail but we started to work together in removing tattoos off people who changed their life and you know how you know how if you look back in an old photo of yourself back in your teenage years, your 20s, your 30s, and you start laughing about it because of the crazy hairstyle you had or the clothing style or whatever, whatever, those are all changeable. And we laugh about it and kind of think, oh, that looks crazy. I can't believe you did that. But once you put a tattoo on, it's pretty permanent, right? And so most people just keep them. But, but a lot of the people we were working with, Dr. Cassidy and I, uh, I was working with a lot of people that were troubled people had some made some rough decisions bad decisions so people had tats all over their face or over their arms and on their hands and so we worked out a way to be able to remove those at and did it at a really low cost because everybody donated their time the docs the nurses and stuff and then we we did it in partnership with a medical group up here in northern california called sutter north who very generously helped underwrite the cost of this laser machine that we ended up paying the payments on because we'd collect a small amount of money from the patients. And so for many years, they worked with us, and we've been removing tattoos off people. And so people had put them on their face or on their eyelids or 
you know, neck. And they wanted to go to the military or be a nurse or do something. They, they couldn't get a job, right? So we've been helping people. So I saw this really cool article. It says, costly face tattoo removals on the rise as regret sets in. I always think, you know, I've, I've had a lot of regrets in my life. I had different phases of my life where I think, man, I'm glad I'm not doing that anymore, right? And uh, I'm glad I made it through or survived that or made it through that or I'm like I don't dress like I used to dress and, and uh, et cetera. But this guy, uh, Articles, has 11 facial tattoos. Uh, Mar- Mauricio Arias. And Mauricio, uh, he has his past on his face and his arms. 11 tattoos cover the skin from his eyelids. Can you imagine getting tats on your eyelids? So when he closes his eyes or blinks, or if he holds his eyes down on one eyelid, he had Latin. On the other eyelid, he had pride, Latin pride, right? But then he'd got tats all over his face. So it's, and it describes a five-year period in his life plagued by depression and drug addiction, gang membership, right? So he says, as soon as he's in Queens, New York, as soon as I walk in for a job interview, they're going to think, who's this guy trying to get a job looking like that? I've had people, people say that to me. Like I say, hey, you want to attach your whole face? You want to sleeve your whole body? Hey, it's your, it's your thing, man. It's your life. Do what you want to do. So anyway, but this guy went through a change and it sounds like by the, by the way the article's written, he, he had a spiritual revolution in his life. He got converted to follow Jesus. So he says, uh, the article says, so between his degree, he got a degree working full time in construction and going to church several days a week. I said, this guy's on fire for something going to church several days a week. He's been five years sober. He's in the middle of getting his face, neck and hand tattoos removed with lasers. We do exactly the same thing here in uh, Yuba Sutter area. And I'll tell you about it one before we finish here. So the painful procedures will span six sessions. Now, I, I, I doubted this. I don't think you can get him, him cleaned up in six sessions. He's been through two sessions, it says. And it says we'll eventually get him to a point where the first thing people see isn't a reminder of the dark history he's had. Uh, he says, Arias says, you don't know how much I think about that every day. I'm going to cry like a baby, he says, when I get finally clean. Pretty cool stuff that we've got the ability to do this. This one guy, this uh, Jeff Garnett, he's a co-owner of a tattoo removal company called Clean Slate Laser. So people have actually made a lot of money taking tattoos off. And he's got locations in New York and New Jersey. He says we've all made mistakes, but our mistakes aren't always the first thing people see and judge us by. Like my mistakes, if you've met me, you don't know what I've been involved in. Like when I tell people, they think, oh, I can't even believe you did that. So Garnett donated six sessions of tattoo removal to Arias. Arias. They usually cost $400 per session. So you charge on tattoo removal in a variety of ways, but he charges 400 per session. That doesn't mean they're going to address every tattoo in your body. We charge up here $50 per session. So if you're listening to this and you live in Northern California near Yuba City or Marysville, we'll, we do tattoo removal once a month, then we let you heal up for, for 30 days, and we, we treat you a second time, third time, fourth time, fifth time, month apart, let your body heal up. 
So if you're interested in you have the same problems of Mr. Arias, uh, you can we'll help you get those tats removed for fifty dollars a session. So not just fifty dollars per tat. A lot of times they'll address one tattoo and charge you four hundred dollars. We'll charge fifty dollars per session. So if you want to do that, um, so uh, I'll tell you how to do that in just a second. So anyway, this Garnett who runs this uh, tattoo removal called Clean Slate Laser. Clients, he said, his clients run the gamut. Teens who regret their ink decisions. We meet people in juvenile hall. They put, they're 13, 14, 15 years of age, and they already want to take their ink off. Women with botched microbladed eyebrows and recently released prisoners hoping to find work. We had parole contact us, California Department of Corrections, asking us to set up a tattoo removal program up here because their people getting out of prison needed jobs, and in order to They'd serve their time. They wanted to try to get assimilated back in the community. But if they're looking gnarly and they got F-U-C-K-O-F-F across their forehead or across their cheekbones under their eye, it ain't going to work so hot, right? Or white pride or something funky like that. So uh, Arias Arias said he avoided prison, uh, although he felt like he was living in one because of the tats until recently his father was murdered when he was eight years old his mother brought him and his brothers from columbia to the u.s a few years later but he ended up on the streets of queens new york where he when he was 14 doing the he quickly fell into a life of drug addiction gangs um drugs alcohol da 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 so uh when he you think i know some of you think the same thing i do how come you did that I had a guy that did F-U-C-K-O-F-F on each side of his nose on the other, under his cheekbone, under his eye. And I said, Jack, how'd you, how come you do that? He said, I was having a really bad day. I don't think Jack thought he would live long. Live long. In fact, within the 12 months later, he was murdered. And uh, Arias said, the reason I, I started doing, putting tats on my face, I didn't think I was going to live very long. I never thought I was going to change. I thought I was going to die young or spend the rest of my life in jail, so I really didn't have any need for a clean face he says on one of his lowest days about five years ago a tattoo shop client he used to work in tattoos in other words he puts tattoos on people he's a tattoo artist and one of his clients invited him to church and he said i went to church he said i got clean began to turn my life around he quit his job at the tattoo shop and picked up an odd low-paying job here and there and uh thanks to connections at the church. But now he's he's going to graduate from a construction technical school and then begin studying for his associate's degrees in civil engineering technology. Isn't that cool? Pretty cool, huh? Uh, he said, I'm not looking for sympathy. He just wants his first impression to be that of a man that he's become, not the person that he was. I feel like God changed me from the inside out, but I feel trapped because of my outside tats when i remove the tats i'm going to be feel free born again isn't that a cool story i think that's a cool story and uh so if you're out there um and you're up here in northern california if you're if you're not here and you're in another state or you i know down the bay area they have a lot of tattoo removal programs sacramento has them if you're up here you can dial i'll give you a number and you can dial and make an appointment and you it's very it's not bureaucratic we'll just we'll just uh fill out a form over the phone 
and you pay your money in advance and we treat once a month. I think it's the second Friday of the month. And uh, so anyway, I'm going to give you a number for a church called Church of Glad Tidings. That's where we do it. That's where the doctor comes in and the technician, the laser technician and the doctor. And then we have nurses and all that kind of stuff, administrators and very smooth. Boom, we get you in, get you out, go back to work, do what you want. So Church of Glad Tidings, the phone number is 530-671-3160, You can look it up on the internet, churchofgladtidings.com. It's located in Yuba City, Highway 99 at Eager Road. They'll tell you all the details. Just call, ask for Karen, Church of Glad Tidings, uh, Six seven one three one six zero five three zero area code. So uh, do that, and we'll we'll help you. We'll get you through this inexpensively. All right. Well, I wanted to mention uh, another sponsor who is a longtime friend of mine. In fact, I've been watching his wife. She's over in Sweden painting. She's a painter, painting shots of the the earth. Beautiful photos but she just goes and sees it live and paints it right there. Boom. She, can you imagine that? I can't even get my brain to think at that level. I would just have a big mess on the canvas, but she ends up painting something that looks just like she's looking at. How's that a miracle? If that isn't God, I don't know what is. So anyway, Leslie Greenitz is over there painting in Sweden, but his, his, her husband is home slaving, changing the world through upgrading and remodeling kitchens and baths and front doors and putting on decks and putting in whole house fans up here in hot Northern California. So he's a big supporter of us. He just sent me some money the other day to help this podcast get off the ground. Greenets construction. That's green. That just like the color with ETZ on the end. Greenettsconstruction.com. I'm telling you, go on that website. It will blow your mind because you, you you don't have to guess and th- and get a reference on him. You just look at his work and all the subs. I know many of the subs that he uses, man. They're the best in the area. They're craftspeople. They're top craftspeople. And so what he has showed before and after on these kitchen baths, front room, you know, changes and decks and all kinds of stuff. It's unbelievable. So, uh, in fact, he posts them actually on before they even get on the website, puts them on Facebook. And uh, you can reach him uh, through that website, greenitzconstruction.com. If you don't want to actually talk to anybody, you want to sneak up on him, you can go check it out. And then you can just send him an email right off that website and fill in what you want to ask him and what kind of job you're interested in maybe doing. And he'll uh, respond to you by email or he'll give you a call. If, you, if you're a millennial and you can maybe take one of these... Uh, pills that relax you a little bit uh, or smoke some weed or something and get relaxed so you can handle a phone call. I know people aren't used to talking today on the phone. They just want to text. So, but he'll call you, but you can call him if you wish at 530-682-9602. 530-682-9602. The cool thing about Dave, it seems ridiculous to have to bring this up. He'll actually call you back. You know, when the people, when I call them back, they say, oh, thank you for calling me back. I say, you don't have to thank me. I do. I call everybody back, whether I, I hate them or not. So 530-682-9602. He'll call you back. He'll show up when he says he's going to show up. And if it, and uh, 
I'm telling you, you'll end up with the nicest, the most beautiful bathroom and kitchen you could imagine. Unbelievable. I've seen them. I've been in them, and I see the photos. They're they're absolutely incredible. And if you want to look on Facebook, it's probably just Greenitz Construction or Dave Greenitz. There's not too many guys with G, green with ETZ on the end. But he posts there quickly, and, and he pops up on my feed on Facebook, and I just see his new, he'll, he'll, he'll list all the subs. They're amazing. Painters, tile, tile guys, amazing people, window people. So uh, check it out. And uh, he used to be, in fact, he still likes the Grateful Dead, but he used to be a, a groupie for the Grateful Dead. And you could give him a, you know, if you say you heard it here on uh, No Hostages Radio, he might give you what they call a dead head discount uh, just just because of the fun of it. But he won't work with anybody. You know, I've, I've told him, I said, you ought to start giving personality tests so you make sure you get along with everybody. They don't give you a hard time so you can get their job done. The problem people have is they don't like to leave their house after he remodeled it. They just want to stay inside all the time. They don't want to come out anymore. So nice in there. They just they hibernate. So greenitzconstruction.com, 530-682-9602. We're going to take another break, and um, you're going to hear a clip. This is a very good clip called The Dark Agenda, The War to Destroy Christian America. And then we'll be right back. today realize how much the United States is a creation of Christians. The uh, 98% of the settlers to this country were Protestant Christians fleeing persecution. They created the country and they created it on Christian principles, actually Protestant Christian principles. Every value that we hold dear, equality, inclusion, freedom, are Christian values. Before the Protestant Reformation, you couldn't get to heaven except by going through the Catholic Church. And the revolutionary idea that the Protestant Reformation came up with was called the priesthood of all believers. So there's no priest class between you and the Creator. That was the fundamental Protestant idea. When you think about it for a second, if everybody is a priest, everybody is equal. And it's this idea that led to the freeing of the slaves, to the equality of women, to all the great advances in our culture. In America, for the last 50 years, there's been a dedicated war against Christianity and against believers by the so-called progressive left. In my lifetime, there's never been a darker hour for America. When I left the radical movement, when I saw that radicalism was a destructive and evil movement, I began to re-examine the foundations of this country. And the first thing that occurred to me was that you can't have inalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness unless there's a God or unless you have respect for people who believe in God. Atheists could not have created this country. It kind of began in 1962 with the Supreme Court decision to remove prayer from the schools. For 170 years, 
There had been prayer in the schools. But suddenly, without any precedent, the Supreme Court, actually only six justices, decided that that was unconstitutional. As a consequence, any child going to a public school cannot be taught. It can't be mentioned that the pilgrims were actually religious Christians fleeing persecution. We have been stripped of our roots, and that's why you see powerful movements today to suppress free speech coming from the left, our racism from the left, dividing our country into categories of skin color and gender and sexual orientation, the very opposite of what the Christian founders of this country believed in. One of the things that I explained in the book is how the left, the so-called progressive liberal left, is really a religion. It's a religious cult. Actually, it's an old Christian heresy, the left is, named after Pelagius, a Christian monk who lived in the fourth century. And Pelagius believed that sin was against human nature. And therefore, if Christians would just be good Christians, if they would just follow their true nature as human beings, they could create the kingdom of heaven on earth without a divine intervention. Pelagius' antagonist was St. Augustine, who believed in original sin, that sin is part of our nature, it's not against our nature. It's the sin of pride that every leftist has inside them and the belief that they can create a new world where there's social justice, peace, and there's paradise on earth. It's about perfection. So just as Pelagius believed that if you were true to your nature, you would be a good Christian because sin was against nature. Modern progressives believe that if you are politically correct or if the government can force you to be politically correct, you can create paradise on earth. This is the most dangerous and destructive idea in the history of the human race. It's the idea that we confront today. And it's why I call this book The War to Destroy Christian America. The most important freedom we have, it actually begins with religious liberty, is freedom of conscience. If they delegitimize your conscience and silence you so that you can't speak, you can't defend any of your freedoms. The whole basis of our freedoms as Americans is first of all, this religious liberty, the liberty of conscience. There's no more important fight than defending the freedom of people to disagree with you. The left is at war with people who disagree with them. The left has declared war on Christianity and the Christians are on the front line. And it's a very, very dangerous moment in our political history. Hope you enjoyed that. David Horowitz, who wrote the book, Dark Agenda, that was who you're listening to. And uh, he's one bright guy and was one of the guys on the revolutionary side during the 1960s and was sharp enough in spite of his strong anti-government views, anti-Christian views, uh, willing to blow buildings up, etc. Somehow, God gave him clarity, and he figured it out, and he changed his life. 
And he has been working ever since to try to convince people on campuses that uh, are trying to overthrow the United States, professors, indoctrinating the next generations of young people to be socialists. He has done his best to try to convince them that that's not the truth, but it's hard. And uh, But David Horowitz is, I noticed the other day, I said, man, oh, David Horowitz getting old, like me, getting old. But he's a very bright guy. I really respect what he's done. He's a very clear writer. If you've ever read any of David Horowitz's stuff, in fact, you might get this this uh, current book, The Dark Agenda, The War to Destroy American Christian America. And Hor- Horowitz is Jewish, by the way. So um, you might check that out. And he's a very clear, very plain, um, and I don't mean this plain be boring, but easy read. His his writing is flows really well if you enjoy good writing. <clears throat> so he really explains things uh, easily, clearly, and succinctly, and doesn't... Uh, you know, sometimes I'm kind of ADHD, so I'll read a book, I'll start the first chapter, and I'll think, oh, wow, this is really far out. And then the, as I get into the book, I get really bored with the book, and it doesn't have the pop the rest of the way through the book, and it, and it kind of it starts to drag on me, then I pick up a different book. So anyhow, that's that's that situation. Uh, let's see what to do here first. Uh, I wanted to mention that I want to play a clip here in the middle instead of going all the way to the end. We're having a problem, and maybe you're having a problem in your state as well with these public these government union pensions. And I don't know that every state has them, but California has them in a big way. In fact, the CalPERS or the California Public Employee uh, Retirement System is the biggest such system in the world. And I think they're managing about $365 billion a year, trying not to waste it. And it's a disaster. And the requirements, the agreements that politicians have made with unions are so rich and wealthy. The payments as people leave, in other words, if you go to work for government in California and say you work 20 years, 30 years, they guarantee you that if you just work for 20 or 30 years, we'll pay you nearly, we'll pay you that amount we agreed to, plus we'll pay you anywhere from 60, 70, 80, 90% of that for the rest of your life on earth. So if you retire at 50 and you make it to 90, 40 more years will pay you. How, and you, you, the average person, you wonder, well, how does that work? Where does the money come from? Because it's not coming from their money they set aside. And the fact is, in public employee pensions, the public employee doesn't even set the money aside themselves. They set a little bit aside, but they don't self-fund their own retirement like you in the private sector and me in the private sector so future generations it's called a ponzi scheme look up the the term charles ponzi p-o-n-z-i or mr madoff he's the latest charles ponzi ponzi called madoff bernie madoff he did the same thing so future generations have to pay for people that aren't even around anymore and the entire 
governments and jurisdictions of California are going broke. I can't speak for you other states because I don't know the details. But it, it's just not working. And so what's, what's happening is, is in, I was just talking about it with a, a physical therapist today, in, in city after city, county after county, jurisdiction after jurisdiction, they're, they're pitching these new taxes that are local taxes saying we can't sustain public safety. They never say we can't sustain pensions. Because people don't want to pay for pensions, but they'll they'll support police and fire. So they'll come at you with we're going to we're going to use this money for public safety. Well, if you specify a, a, a focus like that in California, you're supposed to get two thirds vote of the population. If you say we just need more money for all kinds of stuff, bubble gum, water, water coolers, right, this, that and the other thing, higher wages, people won't vote for that so much, but. In that case, you only need 50% plus one. So in, in, our, in our county, in Yuba, the, the county deceived us. The county lied to us. They hired, paid a quarter of a million dollars and hired these public relations people to say we're going to use it for public safety. They got 53% of the vote. Then after that, when we took it to court, then their attorney said, oh, we never said that. We never promised we we're going to be public safety. We never said we're going to put it in a special fund. We, we're not guaranteeing we're going to use that for public safety. We can use that for anything. But the people weren't told that, and they voted on something totally fallacious. Fallacious just means it's a BS, bullshit, right? And so so what's happening is uh, there's not enough money to take care. Like, people are all over. I talked about the graffiti artists in one city. I think it was Teasdale or something like that. They got so fed up with the potholes that had been there for years, they knew they'd fix them if they drew the picture of a penis around the pothole. And it was so offensive that the, the county or the city came out and filled the pothole in and blacked out the penis, right? Maybe we need to do penises all over the place wherever we don't like what's going on. Just draw big penises. I don't know what's going to go on, but the fact is that roads in California are like almost the worst in the the United States of America. Some of the holes in the city of Marysville, you could, if you don't notice it in the middle of the night, you could sprain, you could, you could snap your ankle if you get your foot in them. So, one of the biggest, you, you do, you, you remember when Michigan, some of you older folks out there, you remember when Michigan was like the car capital, car production capital of the world? I mean, Michigan, like cranking out the work, man, big union operations. Uh, all these unions that were working on cars, building brand new cars, right? All these big factories, car factories. And then when the imports took off and the car manufacturers got lazy on their designs and their quality, Japan started to kick their rear, right? And, uh, and the car factories in America and could not compete. They lost their comp- competitive edge. They just got fat and sassy. And these car companies had become just like the government unions where most of the profits were going to pay for health care and going to pay for pensions. And they just became a big pension insurance company, these car companies, and they quit. Their focus was lost on how to make a really cool car that would help people and be more cost efficient, built real good, etc. So Japanese came in and just made better cars, right? That's how that shook down. 
So Detroit, I went, I went back there in the 1970s with a friend of mine looking for his father who was a drunk in the tenement down there. And man, it was rough. Well, now there's like 80,000 homes that have been abandoned in Detroit as people just got up and moved. They just went through other places in the United States. That's happening in California right now. People are just moving. Middle class people are going to where there's less regulations, less baloney. It, you can buy twice as much house for almost half the cost. And they did that in Detroit. They just got up and left their homes. They didn't care whether they sold them or not. They just couldn't, they couldn't sell them. And so now we have miles and miles and miles that used to be patrolled by cops and firefighters and swept by city street sweepers that are just abandoned. It's just, it's returning to the wild. Isn't that amazing? So in some areas of Detroit where uh, there's so few people living that the the city or the area of Detroit doesn't want to pro- provide police protection. It's the same as a natural forest, national forest. We don't provide constant police patrols in remote areas, right? So in remote areas of Detroit, of the city of Detroit that's bombed out, buildings burned up, boarded up, thrashed, grass growing up to the pavement. They just don't go out there anymore. And so what's happening, if businesses are located scattered out there, they're hiring their own private police squads and gun packing squads, driving around in Hummers and, uh, and got some gnarly weapons. And they're totally outside of the sheriff and police departments. They're private entities that are providing security for people and they're even doing it in uh, well-to-do subdivisions that the police don't have sufficient firepower if i can put it that way or people power manpower to to provide the level of protection that these even the nice subdivisions of detroit want so what's happening is there these subdivisions are paying for the police and then they turn around and pay for uh, these uh, hiring these private police squads. And so I want to play this clip for you. Uh, it's about, uh, oh, it's no, five to six minutes long. It's, it's really a good clip. And, and I'm just wondering, is this where we're going to be heading, where we hire private police people? And, you know, uh, when you think of it, it's, no, it's not a new concept. You're, all your politicians... All your celebrities all have private security. You know that politicians and and celebrities, government officials, they all have private security. They do not rely on police, sheriff and even the CHP. They they even hire private folks to to guard them. So now it's becoming a thing where some some of the everyday people. And and even people, when they close up their business, these guys will roll in in a rig and I'll be all armed up. And when they come out to lock the doors and get in their car and drive off with the money or go home, they don't let somebody, they nobody's going to fuss with these people. They're going to protect them. You got it? So check this out, and then I'll be right back, and we'll pick it up where, the, where this uh, clip lets off. It's people are hiring private police squads in Detroit. Check it out. Put out by HBO. All right, VIPERS stands for Violence Intervention Protective Emergency Response System. You are trained as bodyguards. You're trained to make sure that people stay safe. 
This is the purpose of our organization for over 20 years. This is what we do. For well over a decade, Detroit has been struggling with retaining their cops. In response, an avalanche of private security companies have rushed in. The reason why you're dressed like this is to be very, very psychologically impressive. So when they see how you're dressed, they think you're serious because you are serious. After the city filed for bankruptcy in 2013, budget and pay cuts have pushed cops towards better paying police work outside of the city. Clear! Clear, sir! All right, that was excellent. What you're seeing is the beginning of an entire new industry, which is threat management services. We are literally leading the way in a paradigm shift in safe public and corporate protection. My right leg went out, my right hand goes up. Two, three. This is our tactical training facility. This is called the grid. This is where we store our vehicles. Uh, this is our tactical boat. Uh, these are our, our motorcycles. These motorcycles allow us to get to situations very quickly. This custom boat allows us to get into shallow water. It's also very fun, it jumps over waves, and uh, people enjoy riding in it. Dale Brown, an ex-Army paratrooper, began teaching his own brand of self-defense in the early 90s. He started his own security company in 2000. So this is a Detroit fair fight, four on one. Keep your knees bent. Brown says his 60-person Viper force has more than 5,000 private citizens as clients, along with 100 businesses. Altogether, the company brings in about $2 million a year. This is a community that pays us to protect their community 24 hours a day, seven days a week. No home invasions, no murders, no rapes, and no armed robberies whatsoever have been done here. So police use law enforcement, and what we do is use bodyguarding tactics to prevent predation. Our goal is to create conditions where violence does not occur. We deter violent criminal behavior by projecting strength. So our vehicles have all white strobe lights, our vehicles are black and chrome. There's uh, a strong sense that there is a strong uh, organization that's protecting these people. And then we speak to people very respectfully. You have any weapons on you right now? Okay, walk with me over here, please. And so we have all these different ways of showing that this is just not a good place uh, to be a predator. And it's all nonviolent. And we're growing. So more and more people, they want us in their communities. I think in areas in Detroit where you have these very affluent communities right in the heart of the ghetto, if you will, uh, more and more people are utilizing services like threat management. They've shown up whenever I've called them. And in fact, their response time is so much greater than the Detroit Police Department that without them, I would not be as comfortable. Private security is booming in Detroit. The largest contractor has reported 25% year-over-year growth since the city's bankruptcy. Do we think that security guards that are visible in neighborhoods deter crime? Yes. Can security guards replace police officers? No. The effectiveness of a police department is solely dictated by the trust relationship they've garnered in the community. I was appointed as police chief almost six years ago. Uh, the city was facing bankruptcy. There were neighborhood police stations that were closed. There was a, a strong belief that some of these security companies were more effective than the police department. But it wasn't just because of the city's bankruptcy. In 2003, the federal government accused the Detroit PD of unconstitutional conduct, including excessive use of force and illegal detentions. They were under federal oversight for 13 years. 
But I think the relationship today uh, is much better than it was, say, six years ago. We are absolutely turning the corner. Although the department has improved, Detroit still has the second worst crime rate in the country. So this location, this is one of our clients. If you set up security service with us, we respond to your home, 10 minutes, $10. So when we respond to your home, it's a $10 charge for the first 10 minutes. Every minute after that is a dollar a minute. The main purpose for this is so they feel safe when they close up. What you could have is a person trying to hide next to the car when they close up and then attack them when they get to their vehicles. So they start clients leaving, we wait outside while they lock up the property, and then we'll sit in front of the building to wait till the store closes. See, the one thing about policing in America is the police are the public and the public are the police, meaning it's supposed to be a partnership. It was never supposed to be about who can afford the most police and go out and hire your own police. The byproduct of your purpose is that people prosper. And then we charge them a bunch of money so we can have things. A police department is answerable the to the public. They're answerable to the mayor. They're answerable to their city council. And a private police firm, depending upon how big it is, it's answerable to a board of directors. So it's up to you guys to remember your functional purpose. Because if you'll do that, then this has a great opportunity for you, for all of us for all of us to make the world a better and safer place. Clear? Yeah. Well, do you think your, your little city or your county, wherever you're hanging out, are going to go to that? I'll tell you, it's a lot cheaper, and uh, it's different, but it's a lot cheaper, and you're not paying all these pensions. You're just paying a certain fee and getting that work done, just like uh, Elite Universal Security. I don't know how many of those guys are armed. A lot of the time they aren't armed, but Elite Universal Security that supports our show here uh, they're being hired by local folks because there's not enough law enforcement to protect their uh, farm or their maybe they have a construction yard and people get in, steal the batteries, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So something to think about. Well, uh, I was in Vietnam. I go back and forth to Vietnam some, do a project over there and been doing that for years. And one day some people said in Saigon, I was, talking to some people in a hotel in Saigon. They said, oh, you should, you should come up to Hoi An, Hoi An. And I said, oh, I, I don't know where that is. He said, it's right on the ocean. And it's the most beautiful city, small city, old city. And it's right on the beach. Come on up and uh, we'll show you around and get a hotel room and enjoy your stay. You know, just come up for a couple of days. So I flew up from Saigon to Da Nang. And then you, you, you just take a car over about 20 minutes over to the coast, to Da Nang, or to, to Hoi An. And so while I was over there, the, the person that was, you know, kind of a guide or showing me around, we went into a little restaurant, and it was a, just like typical Vietnamese restaurant. They have, you know, enough for 20, 30 people to sit in there, 15, 20, small restaurants. And uh, usually it's an owner-operator, right, that's doing the cooking, etc. cetera. So at, as we ate, I was eating with a woman, that was showing me around. And, um, so this woman came out from behind the, where they cook and came over to the table and asked how the food was. I thought, Oh, that's, that's cool. You know, uh, people come out and, uh, you know, they're, they want to have a chat and they want to, they want to find out how you liked it. Right. Cause I was a foreign, I was obviously the foreigner in the room, the only white guy. 
And so I said, hey, this food was incredible, right? And uh, thanks so much. And it was a great experience. And we just, you know, we had a brief exchange. And then she said, she said, can I ask you a personal question? She said, are you married? And I said, I'm not married. And she said, would you marry me? I thought, I said, girl, you're crazy. How come you just asked me that? She said, well, I want to come to the United States. And I said, I get you. I, I understand. I know Vietnam. It's hard here. And she said, Lou, I, I want to, I want to come to the United States. She said, I, uh, I work very hard here running my restaurant, but you can't make much money in Vietnam doing this. And she said, I could do that there. She said, actually, she said, I will wash toilets. I will do whatever. I just, I just want the opportunity. She was probably in her early thirties. So I told her, I said, you know, you and I would get in trouble. I would like to help you, but I can't do that. That's breaking the law and I'm going to get arrested. You're going to get arrested and we're both going to end up in jail. So I came back home and I got a call one night from Vietnam and it was her uncle who had traveled from Orange County. And there's a place in Orange County, for those that don't know, California, an area of Orange County called Little Saigon. There's so many Vietnamese living there that they actually, the signage is in Vietnamese. It's called Little Saigon. So whatever you wanted, Vietnamese style, whatever flavor you wanted, you could get it there, just like Saigon. And so her uncle, who was, had immigrated years ago to Little Saigon, as they say, he was back over in Hoi An visiting his niece, who wanted me to marry her. And um, he called me. He said, I'm with, I'm with Coco. Her, she was, her nickname was Coco. And I'm with her, and, she, and she, she, you can marry her. She wants you to marry. I said, yeah, I know, I know, I know. I understand. I get it. But I said, it's illegal you can't just do that. It's not supposed to do that, right? He said, yeah, I know, I know. But, you know, she won't cause a bother. She'll help you. She'll be with you for a while. Da, 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 da. So we had that talk. So I earlier in the, the talk today, this episode, I talked about how many people around the world, when they took a poll in 152 countries, they found 150 million people that wanted to come to the United States. They would like to come if they could, the, the, the phrase, if they could. So over the years, I, you know, you know, people get confused on this immigration thing. And they say, hey, hey, we're all immigrants. Okay, fine, fine, we're all immigrants. Not all of us. I mean, I was born here. So my, I'm fourth generation. But at one, my dad's people were Germans. They came here and uh, it actually came to California eventually but started out in the east, then the Midwest, then they came west. And in about 1850, they showed up in Yuba County, and we stuck around here. So, yeah, some of my people are immigrants. But back then, when you came to the United States, there was nothing free. Zero. Hold that thought. So as Milton Friedman said, his parents were Russian Jews, and they came over, I think he said, in the early 1900s when there was a rev communist revolution about to happen over there, they came to the, and they got to Ellis Island and Milton Friedman now dead Nobel prize winning economist said, he said, if you could back in those days, if you could get to Ellis Island and you could clear quarantine health wise, you could come here, but there was no aid, nothing, no education, no food, no housing, uh, no medicine, 
you're on your own. So most people had sponsors or they had family and they would come and they had a place to stay. And then they'd go out and try to get a job and try to build a future. Maybe if they were a tradesperson, bricklayer back in wherever they came from, they could do that here. If it was transferable, a cook, a, whatever, whatever their gig was, right? A sewer, a tailor. And so, you know, Friedman said it was no guarantee for you that would travel all the way across on a ship to get to Ellis. There was no guarantee in America, zero. And some people actually, I don't know what the percentage was, but he said some people actually decided, I'm going to go back home. I'm going to go back to Italy. I'm going to go back to Germany. I'm going to go back to Ireland because I just can't seem to, I just can't seem to get my mojo working over here. Right. The difference today and the reason people are begging to get to this country and flocking and breaking the law and hiding themselves in the wheel well of an airplane or stashing themselves on a freighter or floating across from Miami or to Miami from Cuba or whatever, right? Is that if you can get here, you win the lottery. Now, I've never played the lottery, but I see people playing the lottery and the chances of winning the lottery are less than you getting hit by lightning. But somebody, some people win. And and the chances of getting in the United States right now because of the corrupt corruption of our immigration laws, we do have laws on the books that are not being enforced. And there are loopholes in the laws that are being taken advantage of. And so people are being told through advertisements in their country, in Honduras. I just met in a class I do for Yuba County Jail, I met a, a new, there's new inmates coming in there every, every week. And new guys were from Honduras and El Salvador. And they came here illegally. I'm not, I don't know whether they did a crime other than break through the border. I don't know if they did any crime to, to be held, but they're now fighting deportation because that's why they're being held in Yuba County Jail. It's a, it's a deportation facility where they fight their case. And so people know that if they get here, they can, they can get aid. They can get fr free medical. If they get here and have a baby, their baby becomes a citizen of the United States. I think we're, we're one of only two nations in the world, of 220 nations that offer that. I think Canada might. I, I just don't understand it. If we go and you travel and your, your wife happens to be pregnant and she delivers in Vietnam, you're child is not a Vietnamese citizen, nor, nor in Laos, nor in Cambodia, nor in Russia, nor in China, nor in Europe. It's, it's just bizarre what's going on in this country. So that's why there's literally a blitz Krieg or a blitz of the Southern border from people from all over the world. In fact, a, fr my, a very close friend of mine who's an Indian from India, came across that border in the 1980s totally illegally and ev eventually was allowed to stay through amnesty under Ronald Reagan. Uh, so there's what's going on in this country is a total breakdown of law and order and justice. And uh, I just watched Lindsey Graham on, on an interview where he uh, it wasn't an interview, but a press conference where he is proposing before Congress 
that they not only build a wall, but they make it impossible for people to become citizens if they crash the country like this. Now, the reason I'm bringing this all up is I, I got a couple comments to make or a couple articles. And I started off by talking about my experience in Vietnam with a lady that wanted, just said, I, I've had numbers of women over there just approach me because they see them and they say, are you American? I said, yeah, I'm American. They said, will you marry me? Take me back to your country. That's just, it's just straight up like that. And they're nice people. They're, they're not criminal types. They just want, they're desperate. And they know that if they get here, they're going to hit the welfare lottery, the entitlement lottery, unemployment, health insurance, you go to any hospital, they're going to take you and fix whatever you got broken. Schools, Section 8 housing, WIC, you know, if you have a baby, they'll, they'll feed the baby for you. All on our dime, right? It's, it's unbelievable. So this article says, uh, 100, 100 people charged in Texas fake marriage immigration scheme. That sound familiar? I started talking about Vietnam and fake marriage. More than 100 people are now facing federal charges connection with an alleged sham marriage scheme. Investigators arrested dozens named in a 260-count indictment. Check this out. You think people aren't spending a fortune getting... You think, oh, these Honduras, it's just serendipitous. It's just a grassroots movement. No, it isn't. It's all planned. They pay people lots of money to get to that border. So the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of Texas, the, they got a grand jury, federal grand jury indictment alleging that organizers charged between $50,000 and $70,000 to arrange fake marriages between a foreign national and a U.S. citizen to obtain legal immigration status. Ashley Yin Nguyen, a.k.a. Duyin, that's a female Vietnamese, 53, is named as the head of the organization, headquartered in southwestern Houston. The organization has ties across Texas and Vietnam. According to this report, each person wishing to come to the U.S. would pay between 50 and 70 grand to arrange a marriage to a U.S. citizen to obtain a lawful permanent resident status, an LPR. The fees were allegedly prorated and would be paid as each step was achieved. Fifty to seventy thousand. Now, I I came back and the lady that approached me in Hoi An, I came back and talked to some friends of mine who knew a lot, knew more about immigration than I know, and I know very, very little. But I'm learn I've learned a lot since then. But I asked them, is there any way we can get this woman in the country legally? And we, we went through that. Uh, we went through that discussion and we decided that we, it was going to be a very difficult thing for her to get here. But these Vietnamese are working together in this sham marriage thing and they're collecting fifty to $70,000 from these Vietnamese folks and guaranteeing them uh, access to the United States. It says a sham marriage is a marriage that is entered into for the primary purpose of circumventing immigration laws. The indictment alleges the marriages involved in this conspiracy were shams because the spouses did not live together and did not intend to do so, contrary to documents and statements submitted to immigration. The spouses only met briefly, used immediately 
usually immediately before they obtain their marriage license or not at all. According to the charges, the spouses allegedly entered into the, the marriage pursuant to a financial arrangement for the primary purpose of breaking the immigration laws, getting around them. Another person named in the indictment was from Pearl, is from Pearl Land, Texas. It's an attorney, Vietnamese attorney named Trong Le Nguyen, a.k.a. Nguyen Le... And anyway, they, they have various ways they do their names. So basically, it's a Vietnamese operation. It, it, there may be other people arrested, so they don't name them all. It's a sealed indictment, but these two have been arrested. If convicted in federal court, the conspirators could, conspirators could face between 5 and 20 years in prison. So what I told my lady, although I was ignorant of all the penalties, I knew it was wrong, and I knew there would be some penalty. I'd said, I said, we're going to both end up in jail, and here we go. we got 5 to 20 years. Now, how many people paid these two Vietnamese 50 to 75,000 50 to 70,000 each is just amazing. Now there's one scam after another on the border. That's just the way it is. It's just, they're just scam after scam after scam. And so like Lindsey Graham said, these kids are uh, without parents are are flooding the border. And then sometimes people are renting kids out to people that don't even belong, adults that don't even belong to those kids, because the word is in Central America, Central America, below Mexico, is that if you have a kid or you send the kid first, we will not turn a kid away and we will take the kid and almost 100% of them will release to someone else to take care of in the United States. And ultimately, then they, they get their parents up here. And Lindsey Graham the other day, at a news conference at the Capitol said that's a loophole in our law. And, and he says he's hoping with Democrat cooperation, they'll close that loophole and, and let everybody know throughout the world that you're not going to send your kids here. If you want help with your kids, we'll send aid down there, but you're not going to send your kids up here because there's not enough buildings. We're not going to pay for building after building after build. The Democrats are all talking trash saying, well, we're going to do this, that, and you're, you're, you're mishandling kids, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I, I'll, I'll carry this on over after the break, but we're going we're gonna to take a break here. And, and um, there's, there's a, I mentioned earlier John Rogers who talked about abortion, kill him now or kill him later. Here's a response to John Rogers, and then I'll be right back after I get something to water my throat. All right, be right back. Speaking of twits, everyone knows that the abortion discussion is at the forefront of everyone's mind in this society today. It goes without saying that governors like Ralph Northam and states like New York and Virginia have made some serious waves with their late-term abortions, post-birth abortions, and infanticide comments as of late. The president came under fire with his most recent comments in Wisconsin, saying this, The baby is born. The mother meets with the doctor. They take care of the baby. They wrap the baby beautifully. And then the doctor and the mother determine whether or not they will execute the baby. I don't think so. Many people saying he was lying to his supporters and that was never said, but actually it was. 
But now we have yet another genius popping up in American society, fighting for the rights of women and their ability to murder children. Alabama State Representative John Rogers has set the internet on fire over his comment of a recent hearing in Alabama on whether or not they should step in in abortion. Watch now. She has a right to make that decision herself. To rape the incest. Some kids are unwanted. So you kill them now, kill them later. Now, I think most common sense Americans would sit here and say, what the crap are you talking about, dude? Kill them now or kill them later. Babies are unwanted and you just want to get rid of them. What a victimhood mentality statement that is. Oh, well, the world's going to be harsh and it's going to be tough to have a kid and that kid's going to have a hard life and God forbid, just, just get rid of them. Why would you put a child through that when you could just kill them now? Or you don't want the child, you have the child, the child goes through the system, eventually the child gets arrested, and then you execute them in the electric chair because that's what happens to the vast majority of people that are born, right? Actually, that's not what happens at all, you idiot. Why would we do this? Why are we having discussions on whether or not a life is worth having and a life is worth giving a chance because you believe that person, that child, that boy, that girl is going to be so worthless in their life that they're not going to accomplish anything and they're going to end up in prison and in the electric chair anyway. So you might as well kill them now instead of killing later. This thought process that we've entered into in America, where we are saying that women's rights outweigh the rights of the person, the baby growing inside of them, which is wrong in and of itself. And our future generations will thunder slap us for even having this conversation and look back on us with just shame that we were even a part of this. But now you've gone even further to say that it really doesn't matter and we shouldn't step in because we're either going to kill them now or we're going to kill them later. Because giving a baby a chance People tell me all the time, oh, well, what about the foster system, Graham? People don't want their kids and they go straight into the foster system and it's terrible. I'm not saying that it's not. I'm not saying the foster system doesn't have flaws. I'm not saying that adoption doesn't have flaws. I'm not saying any of that. What I'm saying is that every child deserves a chance. And at least, even if their life is difficult and hard, at least they have a chance to live. I assure you that no one alive said, you know what, eh, at the end of the day, probably wasn't worth it. You probably just should have aborted me. Said no one ever, because abortion is murder. How are these people getting elected into office in the first place? Does this man speak for you, Alabama? He's a state representative. Does he represent your feelings as a state? Do these people that we have elected into office actually represent us as Americans? I would venture to say no. Because what sane person is pro-killing someone? Because they're either going to kill them now or kill them later.
right, well, listening to John Rogers, we got some crazy thinking people in this world, and uh, you just need to figure out what the truth is and go on about your way. I was talking about the Border Patrol before we took a break and the uh, migrants and all kinds of scams. Listen, uh, I, I interviewed before I uh, left the uh, live radio, I interviewed a lady that I met in the Yuba County Jail, and then she eventually was allowed to have asylum in the United States because of uh, fear that she would lose her life. She went back to Mexico. So uh, I interviewed her about the border, and she had been one of the people that helped people get through the border. And she said, Lou, the people on the other side of the border know the rules of the border. They know the laws that you have, and they know how to circumvent those laws, get around those laws, whether they be fake marriages, whether they be Right. What Lindsey Graham said the other day uh, in the news conference is people are not even there's a group of people that are trying to avoid detection and being caught smugglers, smuggling drugs, smuggling sex trafficking, smuggling people. Then there's people that want to be caught. And because under the laws of the United States right now, the loopholes, uh, if they say, oh, I want asylum or this is a abandoned child. The Americans will take that person until they and keep them until they sort it out. But but the laws weren't designed to take hundreds of thousands a month. Right. What buildings are you going to house them in? The Democrats do cheap shots after they watched and didn't complain a bit about Obama putting people in cages and sleeping on concrete floors, including children. So now it's a big issue like Trump doesn't care. The fact is the Trump Border Patrol people, if the Democrats will cooperate can stop the there's actually a solicitation of people all throughout the world if you can get to the united states they will not refuse you and you can fight your case and win your case there's people in yuba county jail within a 20 minute walk from my house or 15 minute that have been there for two to three years not because they're held against their will they could say I want to self-deport and go back to my home country, whatever country that is. And we will put them uh, on a plane or on a bus or deliver them to that country just that fast. The only reason they're being held over there is because they, they are fighting for their rights, their rights as a foreign person to fight the U.S. government so they can become a citizen here. And not be deported, even though they everybody knows the law, even though every one of them broke the law, they broke a lot of laws in many cases, drunk driving, violence, etc. Murder. I've met people that murdered people. They they the first law they broke was when they ignored our laws to come in the country and they violated those laws. So now we have Border Patrol flies in airplanes. We fly migrants from South Texas to reduce the overcrowding. It's so crowded that <clears throat> we're putting them on airplanes and we're moving uh, single adults and family units from South Texas to detention facilities as authorities prepare for even larger numbers of family units and unaccompanied minors. These types of flights are usually highly unusual for the Border Patrol. Lindsey Graham said earlier this week, that we literally we're taking cops, border patrol agents, and and we're doing nothing but using them in medical care and feeding people and giving them clothes. I mean, it is it's absurd what we're doing, 
and the, the Democrats think it's a great idea. The agency resorted to utilizing flights which carry up to 135 people because all buses were being utilized to transfer all buses. I want you to think about that. All buses in this area of Texas South are being used to, to transport migrants from the border to the initial processing centers. The flights are costing $16,000 a piece or $120 a person to just move them in farther inside the United States to house them so they can fight their case. Uh, they're being flown to Laughlin Air Base near Del Rio. Uh, they then use bu- buses to move the migrants to Border Patrol stations. Uh, these are non-criminal alien. F- when they say non-criminal, they're not saying they didn't break the law coming across the border. They're saying they're not criminal in the sense that they've robbed, pillaged, sold drugs, uh, done sex crimes, stabbed people. They're not that type of criminal. Director Albans of the Border Patrol said, we've been working these cases from an investigating standpoint for a long time. What we're we're doing now is a little different. Uh, He goes on to say, we've got teams in seven different locations who are conducting interviews of people who appear to be fraudulent families. In other words, they're families that don't belong. They're people that don't belong and are pretending to be families, just like the Vietnamese were pretending to be married. So these these are single guys with a woman, a single woman with a bunch of kids that don't belong to them. They're all appearing, and they're saying, we're the Lopez family. So they, they're interviewing people that may, they're probably fraudulent families or where we have concerns that they are not who they say they are, right? They don't, like, right now we're going through this thing in, in California where you have to get a new ID, and you got to come in and bring utility bills and birth certificates and passports and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. They don't have any of this because they don't have any of that. Many of those people don't even know what day they were born. Literally. They don't keep track like we do. The director of <laughs> the Border Patrol, Matthew Albans, he's the acting ICE director, he said the results have been staggering so far, the results of their investigations. In just a couple of weeks, we've interviewed 256 family units and identified 65 completely fraudulent families. Almost three out of every 10 families we've interviewed have become fraudulent. In an effort to more quickly determine the instances of false family claims, <coughs> federal officials are now about to deploy a rapid DNA testing program in two locations. He said this specific type of DNA testing will return a result in 90 minutes that can identify a parent-child relationship. So in other words, you think, oh, what? how do they do that? Very simple. In fact, we do it in Yuba County Jail. They just can do a take a cotton swab, wipe your cheek, the inside of your cheek. All the people involved check their cheeks, picks off. It, it doesn't hurt anybody. It just It's just rubbing against your skin. Some cells come off on the cotton swab. They put it in a testing device and they look and see if the DNA that you have could somehow be connected to the DNA of your parent or your or your your uh, offspring. So that is a cool thing if they get that going. And but 
I thought listening to Lindsey Graham, he made a lot of sense in what he was talking about the immigration fiasco, and hopefully they can uh, they can they can fix it. So I want to move on back to uh, local area, and uh, <clears throat> I don't have a lot of details, but I wrote about it in this week's Territorial Dispatch, and you can see it at territorialdispatch.biz. I wrote an article about another day another tax. And so recently in Yuba County, we got a flyer and most of the county got a flyer from the Reclamation District 784. In in California, I don't know about other states, but we have these districts where they call them Reclamation Districts and they're responsible for maintenance of, of processing or move, movement of water and protection of land from floods and so there's a system of levees down here in the valley and ditches. And and when there's high water, they move water from here to over there to spread it out. And they're, they're just a, a method to the madness, right? So to pay for these things, there's there's they get grants from government, state, federal government, monies from government. And that and, you know, government doesn't have any money of its own. It's all money that's been taken from you and me. Uh, but then they, in, when they want more money, they do these things called parcel assessments. So if you're not a parcel owner, you don't pay anything. But if you own property or you own a business, they they assess you a certain fee or tax based upon the value of your parcel. So if you have a parcel that's worth 10 times more than my parcel, then you would pay 10 times more of assessment. Does that make sense? So they sent this card out saying that on, on our tax bills here in the city and county, in the cities and counties of Yuba, or the cities and county of Yuba, when you get your property tax bill, there's a property tax fee, right? The tax for your real estate. And then they add on these other taxes that you may have voted for in the past, like a school bond or a utility bond or all kinds of things, right? And in some areas of Yuba County, people are paying their, they have their property tax amount, and then there's maybe 12 other amounts on there, right? Different bonds and fees and surcharges. And so in some cases, 60, maybe 60, two-thirds of their bill their entire tax bill, we call it, is for really real estate taxes. And the rest of it, 33%, 67% for taxes, 33% is these other fees. One of those fees is an assessment for these this levy district, Reclamation District 784. And so their card recently was there's there's another there's another assessment on your on your tax bill here from a group called Trilla. It's an acronym from three, three rivers, levy improvement agency, Trilla, T R L I A. So we have an assessment for each on your tax bill. So you're paying to maintain and improve the levies because in the Valley here, when there's high water, unless you channel the water and the keep it in the rivers and then these bypasses, it will flood out, Everything you own, businesses, farms, everything. So we pay these fees. So the reclamation district sent out an, 
a flyer that was vague, said basically floods are bad, water management's good, we do a nice job, we work hard, and and there, you pay us an assessment every year, but now we need more money, so in in a week or two, we're going to send out a ballot, and you don't go to the ballot box or you don't go to the polls and vote yes or no on this increase in assessment. We're going to send out this ballot, and if you don't respond, uh, then bad on you. For all those that want to protest this, we're, it, there's going to have to be more than 50% of you, 50% plus one, to stop this. So we're not. So in other words, we assume you're not for it. Uh, in other words, we're not going to assume you're against it unless you send it back in. You have to do something. If you want to be passive, it, you're going to get an increase in rates. So there wasn't any mention in the document about what the budget was of the uh, reclamation district. If you go on the website of Trilla, their budget's on their website, and they have a 7 or $8 billion surplus. The budget of on the reclamation district wasn't posted, and there was no mention of, in other words, there were no financial figures on why we need to pay this extra money. Why, and, and somebody that, there's a numbers cruncher out there in the Plumas Lake area, one of the nicer areas of Yuba County and housing. They pay some of the highest fees, taxes, surcharges, bonds. It's huge, expensive to live in Plumas Lake because of all the extra costs. So one of the numbers crunchers out there looked around and found out somewhere that the increase was anywhere from 52 to 54 percent. I thought it was 52, so I wrote that in my article, but now I heard today it's 54 percent. In other words, it's going to be a big jump. And for this person's taxes, it was going to be 100 to $200 increase in his annual fee. So it's one thing to say, well, okay, we're going to do this. It's another thing, you know, and trying to say, hey, it's a good idea. We're good people. We're your neighbors. We're just trying to stop floods and keep the situation dry around here in a wet, wet winter. And so we've done the best we could, and we're now we're not going to have enough money to do what we plan to do. Now people are starting to ask questions, and lo, lo and behold, this week, the budget of the Reclamation District showed up on their website. Isn't that fascinating how you just ask a few questions, and all of a sudden, you know, I wrote an article about this, and I mentioned, I didn't mention they didn't have a budget produced, but I did mention that Trilla had their budget on their website, and in the last couple of years, they had seven or eight million dollars left over each year. I thought, well, why don't you get some money from Trilla? Why are you coming back to us for why is more, 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 more? Just every couple of months in Yuba County, more taxes, more taxes. Measure K, raise one percent sales tax. Do this, raise fees on building fees, and so. Uh, so now we have this reclamation district 74. Now, all of a sudden, surprise, 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 the budget shows up. And, um, so people are asking questions, but here's the thing. If you live in an area where you're going to get to vote on this, if you let it lay around the house and you don't file an opposition statement, you just have to fill this out, send it in. 
If you do not do that, they're going to assume it's okay. In other words, if if they add up all the parcel owners, say there's 20,000 parcel owners, right? And if 10,000.1, right, if there's 20,000 even parcel owners and 10,001 don't protest, this thing's going to go through and everybody is affected that owns property. Now, if you're homeless, if you rent, you know, but the fact is, if you rent, uh, it's going to affect your rent, but you're not going to get to vote on it. And it's leveraged voting. It's it's in other words, a person that has a two million dollar piece of property is going to pay a lot more money than the person has a two hundred thousand dollar piece of property and they get a heavier vote. So the people that are very wealthy and own lots of property, their vote is weighted a lot more. So more taxes for Yuba County. If you're here, uh, you ought to pay attention to them. I know we got you, we got Sutter County, or sorry, we got uh, Chico, Butte County people that are freaking out up there about, I know Cal Water's up there ripping people off. The water rates are huge. But now they're facing, somebody set up to three of these extra add-on taxes that are coming up at the next election they're trying to fight. So anyway, if you're in Yuba County and you got one of those cards, or the ballots were supposed to go out this week, starting yesterday. Uh, so, uh, or, or the, maybe a couple days ago this week, they're supposed to be out. You should get it this week. Uh, or at least it's supposed to go out this week and you need to just open it up. If you're, if you don't want any more taxes, you need to open it up, fill it out and send it back in that you're not for this, right? It's up to you. Now I didn't get one in the city of Marysville. I'm in the city limits. Now I'm thinking that I already pay a different bond, right? And, and maybe I'm not going to get to vote on this reclamation district thing because I don't, I don't think I've got one in the mail. So, all right. Well, uh, we're coming. We, we got about 10 or 11 minutes here before the, this fifth segment uh, we're going to wrap up. And uh, I wanted to talk about a restaurant that I've become uh, fond of, but I've never eaten at. And... Uh, we I, behind me here where I live, we used to have a Kentucky fried chicken. I used to like it. Like I don't need a lot of it, but I usually don't eat fast food cooked food. But every once in a while, I'd have a real desire for some of that Kentucky fried chicken. My mother used to cook chicken once a week in a big old cast iron skillet and, and fried chicken and mashed potatoes. And wow, it was incredible. And, uh, so every once in a while, I get a real hunger for fried chicken. And I'd go to Kentucky Fried. Well, it changed. They went out of business. And uh, now if I go to Asia, I can get Kentucky Fried Chicken in Vietnam. Did you know that? It's unbelievable. Can't get it here. But then Popeye's took over, and they did big business for a few months, and then they went out of business. And I tried their chicken, and I didn't like their chicken. It was too heavy. It was like It tastes good. But when it hit my stomach, it was like I swallowed a, a weight off a fishing hook, fishing line. But I've been interested in this whole Chick-fil-A controversy. And Chick-fil-A, uh, the problem with Chick-fil-A, with liberals, is that they're, they're owned by Christian folks. And they follow Christian principles. And anymore in the United States, it's not the land of the free, home of the brave, it's the land of the politically correct. And if you don't fit into the tro- the so-called tolerant people's understanding of how the world should be, then 
then they're intolerant towards you. So, for instance, Chick-fil-A, they take, I think they close on, do they, do they close on Sunday or something? Uh, give all their customers a, or all their workers a chance to go to church. Anyway, Chick-fil-A has been attacked, not because they're wearing their beliefs on their sleeves, but they, they are pro-marriage, but they didn't, they'll serve anybody. They serve people that aren't married or don't believe in marriage or believe in homosexual marriage or even the marriage between an animal and a guy. Did you know that happens every once in a while? A guy married his dog in San Francisco, but then he went over to Montana to consummate the relationship. I guess in Montana you can have sex with an animal if there's not enough partners around, females, for instance, but can go either way, right? You ever thought about that? So, so we have all these communists and socialists on these supposedly remember at one time in the sixties, they were all these people protesting and wanting free speech. Now today they, they are fighting against free speech. You know, our founding fathers believed that we all needed free speech, but now the millennials and the younger ones, their professors tell them that we're only going to allow speech to be free if we agree with it, but we're not going to listen to anybody that we don't agree with. I thought college was supposed to be a place where we listen to a lot of different things and sort out what we do believe, right? And we teach kids how to think, not what to think, but how to think, how to process stuff, like critical thinking. But now we have all these people constantly want to shut down Chick-fil-A. They take a business. I remember when uh, Leatherby's Ice Cream in Sacramento. I don't even know they're still in business. But when we had Proposition, I don't know, one of the marriage propositions in the, in the country, the Leatherby family were Catholic people, I think. And so they donated some money towards the cause of marriage being a, a union between a man and a woman and so all kinds of people started trash their business and boycotted them and all kinds of stuff, made them look like bad people, criminals. So California Polytechnic State University, Cal Poly, we call it over here in California, has announced they might remove a 25-year-old Chick-fil-A outlet from their campus because they're strong Christian people. Now, it used to be in this country, we used to try to get people to be strong Christian people. Why do we do that? Because... There wouldn't be so much crime. People wouldn't beat up their wives so much. People wouldn't be drunks and addicts. We used to, strong Christians, right? When we've had revivals in this country, they had to lay off the police at different times. So we have a strong Christian values, and we used to think that's what we really want. In fact, until 1961, we had prayer in the public schools, and we wanted to institute in our kids a strong Christian ethic, strong Christian values. And we didn't want them to just come up with other values where they wanted to be destructive, right? And we wanted to be kind to people and share with people and help people. So now Cal Poly has come out. Now, some of you, I know some kids that have gone to Cal Poly and the school campus is actually... So we don't like strong Christian values. That's what we don't like. And we don't like this chicken place because we think they believe that. And we only want people on this campus that believe 
like we believe, which we don't even believe Christianity is right. So according, according to one report, they announced that they're considering removing this business that's been there for 25 years and kids have gone there and like they obviously made a profit or they would have left uh, without making a profit. You know, if they couldn't make a profit, they would have left, but they've been making a profit. In other words, students like their chicken. So what the committee, there's a committee on the university that tells you what you can believe and what you can think and what you can say. So the committee specifically referenced Chick-fil-A's donations to groups that are perceived by some to be anti-LGBTXYZ LMNOP. In other words, if they don't endorse, you know, it used to be years ago when people wanted to come out of the closet, they just wanted you to treat them properly, right? They're not like you. They wouldn't have sex with a horse or with somebody of the same gender, but they just didn't want to be persecuted or treated unkindly. But it's went way beyond that. It's gone way beyond that. What it is today is unless you agree with them and say, nope, we think your lifestyle is wonderful and we just think it's a godly lifestyle and wish you well. Unless you're willing to go there, then you're you're a hate monger and you're homophobic, right? So because the do- they've they've perceived that Chick-fil-A donates to groups that are perceived by some to be anti-LGBT. So what would those group groups look like? They would be a group that say believes in marriage, right? Or believes the Bible. Because the Bible doesn't endorse LGBTXYZ NMLP. It doesn't, it doesn't support any of that, right? It supports relations between a man and a woman. That's just the way that is. So that the book of the Bible and any of its followers, it's hate speech and hate people. So uh, anyway, their comment says, this is interesting. I'm surprised at this. One... one uh, Vice Chair of the Academic Senate, Thomas Gutierrez, said, we don't sell pornography in the bookstore and we don't have a Hooters on campus. I thought that surprises me. I thought they would because I thought, what's wrong with that? They th- I thought anything was OK except Christianity. So he says this is a similar thing. The difference is we are actually profiting from this. So I guess they're making a little profit off the uh, the Chick-fil-A restaurant. So our money says, our money, every dollar a student is spending at Chick-fil-A is going to these causes that are in violation of our values. So they're saying Chick-fil-A, we allow them here. We They probably pay a franchise fee to stay on campus, a location fee. So they're saying if a student buys a chicken sandwich, that his chicken sandwich is actually a penny of it might be going to support the idea of Christianity or the Bible or marriage, or the family, because LGBT don't describe a family as a man and wife and children, or a man and children, or wife and children, if the wife, the spouse died. So, um, and this is interesting, usually these are cut and dry type situations where they decide this is what we're going to do and it's going to be over. But in this situation, a guy, another guy, a university spokesperson named Matt Lazier, 
He said in a statement that the university believes in providing a space for viewpoints and ideologies unpopular with the with progressive faculty members. I'm shocked that they're even saying that because usually there aren't enough conservatives on campus to push something. So they're saying, hey, uh, we're open to other points of view. I thought, you really? I thought that's something new. He said, well, university, and this is amazing. Think about this when you decide where to send your kids to school. Most of my friends are Christian people. A lot of my, well, not most of them, but I have a lot of Christian friends. They, they take no care on where they send their kids to college, except whether they got the right sports team or something, something, or they like the location. They don't look at all at the propaganda and the dogma that that university puts out. Listen to what the University of Cal Poly says. While university administration passionately disagrees with the values of some of the organizations the president of Chick-fil-A has chosen to make personal donations to, we do not. Do you see that? They passionately disagree. It's like I don't wake up in the morning worried about what Jane Fonda is supporting. I, I know she's a liberal. Like, so what? It's a big country. It's a big world. But they say I'm, we're passionately disagreeing. However, we do not believe in responding to intolerance with intolerance. So they say Chick-fil-A is intolerant. In other words, because we don't want to give our kid to be married to uh, our daughter to be married to another woman. That's what they want. They want us to embrace that. So uh, it's interesting. Now, Breitbart News, who who posted this article reported in March, 2019 that a Dean at Ryder university, I don't even know Ryder R I D E R had resigned from her position in protest of that administration's decision to ban a Chick-fil-A from their campus. And the administration announced that they had banned the fast food chain over student concerns about the strong Christian values of the chain. So if you have a strong Christian value. You could have a strong Muslim value. You could have a strong Satanist value. You could have a strong secular value, but you cannot have a strong Christian value and be on writer campus. So we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. I'm going to be in the last segment in just a minute. And let's see, I'm going to play for you uh, just some gnarly stuff about what I'm talking about right here. California's public school sex ed guidelines that were just changed last week, pushing transgender uh, uh, propaganda on kindergarten on up. We'll be right back. It's, uh, it's they're deeming it civil rights. This is the quote. So this is from a woman named Stephanie Gregson. She is the director of curriculum frameworks and instructional resources yeah. division at the California Department of Education. She's behind this. This is her quote. I think that people hear the word transgender or gender identity and guidance for kindergarten through grade three. And they think they think the worst. And then she says it's really about civil rights issues. Kira. I looked at this framework from kindergarten yeah. through middle school to teenagers. They are going to teach. They are instructed yeah. to teach middle schoolers about bondage and anal sex. How is bondage a civil rights issue? 
all of this is connected. So their reasoning is that all of this is connected to anti-bullying, which is a huge part of the California Healthy Youth Act. And so their idea is that if they normalize these behaviors, if they normalize these things, then those children who struggle with sexual identity or sexuality won't be, quote, bullied in school. Um, I'm a parent myself. I have two children in the California public school system right now, which is why I got involved with this issue in the first place. I was devastated. I went to the uh, sex ed meeting at my own daughter's middle school, and I was absolutely devastated to find out that not only had I uh, was I given no options to um, oppose this material, but I was also I was also offended to find out that they were comparing it to the civil rights issues of the Jim Crow era. So I actually had a school administrator tell me that I am not allowed to decide if my child gets to discuss issues of gender identity and homosexuality within her classroom because it is the same thing as telling a teacher they're not allowed to discuss issues of slavery or race. Uh, So this is the mindset we're up against here. And and it's just insane. I mean, parents have been railing against this as it's become more and more clear that we're out of options. The reason why these ridiculous materials are in the curriculum recommendations is because it is activist groups that have set the curriculum for this. No parents have been involved, hardly any teachers. In fact, you speak to teachers and school administrators across the state, almost to a person, they will say they are terrified of this material. They do not want it in their classrooms. So the ACLU has been closely involved with those um, on the Instructional Quality Commission, which you quoted one of the uh, members there. Um, The ACLU has been very involved in instituting this curriculum. So has the Human Rights Commission, which is a left-wing LGBT organization. So there's been no parental input. Uh, This hasn't been workshopped, and in fact, uh, the state may have illegally instituted uh, some of these curriculum changes, which is something uh, a parent group I'm working with will be addressing in the future. All right, welcome back. Um, well, you've got a good earful listening to uh, what what's going on in our public education system, and many of the principals and teachers are shocked uh, by these uh, decisions by the S- State Board of Education in California. Uh, there needs to be a revolution in the school systems and to throw off federal and state control. President Trump has discussed having the federal government get completely out of education, which I'm totally for. I think the state government should as well and leave it up to local communities to decide what they want to do about uh, what they want to do about their own education. So uh, for those of you that are taken back by that, there is a website and I'm just going to, I'm just confirming it right now called remove your child uh let me see if it's remove your child remove your child i'll have to look it up moveyourchild.com anyway i'll tell you where to go just go to savecalifornia.com save california 
com, and they'll direct you to this. It's like remove your child, remove your children. Uh, save, save California. And uh, let me see if I can get over there really quick, and then I'll I'll tell you what it, it is. Okay, SaveCalifornia.com, and then we get that up. And uh, by the way, I think. Let me see. So SaveCalifornia.com. That's Randy Thomason's website for pro-family <clears throat> lobbying. And uh, so let me see if I can get to the right spot here. Here we go. I think it's just going to get it to me. Okay. So this, I think, let's see if, I think on May 22nd, that's six days from now, is Harvey Melt Gay Day on campus, on all your public school campuses. So Randy Thomas is, is, Thomason is suggesting protect your child from Harvey Melt Gay Day. Harvey Melk was a guy who used to molest uh, teenage, underage boys. And uh, he's, you can read about him if you want to read a book about him, written by a guy that writes the San Francisco Chronicle named Schiltz, S-C-H-I-L-T-S, I think, Randy Schiltz. And uh, the, the title of the book is, is The Mayor of, of Castro Street. But Harvey Milk was a deceiver, a liar. Uh, he, he groomed young men to have sex with them. He uh, lied about, he had a camera business. That's how he, he lied about his Navy service. He served for four years in the Navy, was honorably discharged, but said that he was kicked out of the Navy because he was a homosexual. It's a total lie. He had a camera shop in uh, Castro Street of San Francisco, and when he ran for supervisor, he kept running for supervisor, wanting to get elected to be the first gay guy to be elected to San Francisco Board of Supervisors. So his campaign wasn't going so good, so... He feigned a break in his camera shop and thrashed the shop and uh, lied about it and uh, reported it as a crime so he could, you know, say that somebody was persecuting him because he was homosexual. And uh, so uh, anyway, he ended up being killed, murdered, along with the mayor of the city by uh, another supervisor we'd call him a city councilman but they have supervisors for the city and uh so hollywood glamour glamorized harvey melt that he was like the martin luther king of gays but he's actually a predator i mean we are in yuba sutter county we still arrest him i don't know what we, they do it all throughout california but we still create call people that prey on young people young women or young girls or boys sexually as predators Harvey Milk was a predator. There isn't any way around it. He didn't go out and get guys his same age and have sex with them. There's no real law against that now. But he he uh, manipulated and uh, violated boys. And in fact, some of them actually ended their own life. But May 22 um, is on Wednesday. And it asked teachers and principals that they planned uh, to honor Milk in any way. If yes... Uh, in other words, you can check with your teachers and your principals and say, are you going to do a, a honor milk? 
on this day, Harvey Milk. And if they do, Randy Thomason is is suggesting to keep your kids home from for school for three days, May 22, 23, and 24, to be extra safe because they may choose to honor him on a different day. Or to be extra safe, safe keep him out all week. So uh, this is a state law forcing this upon the schools, signed by Arnold Schwarzenegger in 2009, called upon K-12 government schools to teach children as young as five years old to honor homosexual activist and sexual predator Harvey Milk. Um, so, and to encourage them to develop some kind of teaching credential uh, curriculum in pro milk exercises, quote unquote, there's no permission, parental permission or notification needed to do this. So it's up to you to just pull your kids out. So, um, if you want to go on this site called savecalifornia.com, then you can just click on Harvey Milk, and it'll tell you all about it, everything you ever wanted or not wanted to know about it. Uh, like questions like, what is Harvey Milk Day? Why should I be concerned? When is Harvey Milk Day? And will permission be required? What were Harvey Milk's values? What could Harvey Milk look like in public schools? What would that day look like? How do I protect my child from sexual indoctrination? Uh, they, they, he also has some documentaries on Harvey Milk, further background about it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I can't find the other website. It's on here because it's his. Oh, here it is. Rescue Your Child, not Remove Your Child. It's rescueyourchild.com. If you've ever thought about, you know, if I don't have my kids in public school, I can't afford private school. How can I do this? There's a website called rescueyourchild.com. So just go to that. It's questions and answers. It's a great site. Uh, rescueyourchild.com, savecalifornia.com. So we'll call that. We'll call that good on that. And we'll go back to our other stuff and see out of what I have left, which is more than we can talk about. I'll see where what I think is the most important thing to like leave with you. Let me just say a couple things about the China, United States tariff. Uh, tariff war, they call it. First of all, um, when you go down and buy most stuff in America, you have you have a tax, right? You pay you pay for the item, and then they just add a tax. And everybody's accepted that that's either if you want to buy something, that's what you got to do. But a tariff is a fee or an actual cost. Like for instance, if you if you want to send a car to Vietnam, you don't want to buy a car in Vietnam, but you want to send a car to Vietnam. And I think in Hong Kong as well. Say it's a $50,000. Say it's a $20,000 car. Say you buy a new $20,000 car and you want to ship it with you. You're going to go to work over there. You will have to pay another $20,000 to the government of that where you go in Hong Kong or Vietnam. That's a tariff. In other words... You're going to pay twenty thousand here for the vehicle. You're going to have twenty thousand for the privilege of having that vehicle over there. Okay, so they do that to try to discourage people from bringing cars over, and they'll just buy cars there, right? So, in other areas, they so say we we have we have people here that create things, create products, food, any kind of retail products, machines technology and we sell it around the world so it isn't as simple as i I make something that's wonderful and i want to sell it to 
Joe Doke, the Vietnamese dude, I can't just sell it to him, right? If I have a company, if I sneak it in, I could in a suitcase. But if I want to do business, I'm shipping a thousand of them, 2000 of them. The government's going to be involved. And they say, okay, what's the value of that? I say, it's a thousand dollars. They'll say, we want 200 for every one of those, right? 20%, the 20% tariff. So every time you bring them in, you give us $200. And so for the Vietnamese people, you have to, now the, the base cost is $1,200 and we haven't even made any profit yet. So that's what tariffs are. So when the Democrats or the liberals said Trump started a tariff war, it was in a, a complete lie. It's like saying that 80% of the water in California is used by farmers. It's just a total lie. There's, there's, no, there's no study, not one, that says that. So when the Democrats said Trump started a tr- trade war, most of them don't even know how to do business themselves. What, what the situation's been for years, free trade would mean that any country, any of the 220 countries of the world, they could sell their product inside our country at the same price they sell it theirs, right? They don't have to pay us to just the privilege of doing that. And we could sell any of our product in their country without paying them for a privilege to do that. No tariffs, free trade. But what's been happening is because China has been able, because of their cheap labor, they've been able to make products, the same products we used to make here, a lot cheaper there with cheap labor. They've been able to ship the products here and sell it cheaper, much cheaper than what we can. For I just bought a shirt the other day, and I looked at the label. It was made in Vietnam. It was very cheap, and it's a nice shirt. And if I went over there and it happened to be over there, it would be even cheaper because they have outlets over there. And so, uh, so that's just the way that it is. But China, for decades, not starting with Trump, but but under the both Bush administrations, under the Clinton administration, under the uh, Obama administration, has charged fantastic tariffs on our businesses that have been trying to sell products to their people. Why do our businesses want to get into that uh, into that territory? Because they have a billion people. If you want to sell chewing gum over there, for instance, uh, you're going to sell billions of packs of chewing gum, right? It's a it's a big market, right? You look for a big market. But China would put these fantastic tariffs on and make it so you're not able to move so much product because if it gets too expensive, the Chinese people say, I can't afford that. I'm going to buy the Chinese brand, right? So there's no competition, no free trade. It's not free. So when Trump came in, he said as a businessman, he thought, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're, not, we're getting screwed on this deal. We're allowing you very low tariffs to sell your products in the U.S., and you, in some cases, won't even allow us to sell our products in China. But we're not going to do that anymore. You're either going to allow our, our businesses and our farmers and our food processors to sell our products over there, or you're not going to be able to sell your products here. Well, because most politicians in the United States are pussies and they don't have any backbone, and China basically had them wrapped around her finger, they, they took China's side, Republican and Democrats, took China's side saying Trump caused, started a trade war. 
that's like saying right now that that U.S. is starting an immigration war with Mexico. It's it's we didn't we didn't ask for thousands of people to to attack the border every day. It's happening for whatever reason. All you can do is respond to it. So the fact is that uh, Trump has what Trump said is exactly the, the fact. We've been in a trade war and we've lost it every year for many, many years. And he he says that they've ripped us off five hundred billion dollars and really rebuilt China based upon the the tariffs. They wouldn't allow our products in, but they've been ripping us off, bringing all their product over here. So and his point is, uh, if we have to, we'll just make it easier for companies to our companies to make our products here. And we won't have to get them from China anymore. And and you think, well, how are we ever going to get them that cheap? I'll tell you one way, and that is that is to remove government regulation and to, and to remove the minimum wage and remove a lot of the government bureaucracy that that we spend a lot of money, a lot of money in this country. Before we even can produce anything like I think Trump held up a design of a road back east somewhere and they've been planning it and discussing it for 18 or 20 years. And still hadn't got a road built. And, and spending many millions of dollars on just uh, investigating and doing studies about this highway that anybody could. We used to just build a highway. You build a highway. You need a highway. You got to get from here to there. Now we got one lawsuit after another. And so we could. It's the same way when they these companies said, we're just going to go down to Mexico and build a plant. He said, well, if you go down and build a plant down there, we're going to charge you a tariff bringing those cars back. And so they decided, oh, well, maybe it isn't so expensive to build cars in America after all. Because why do we go, go down there and then we'll have to pay extra coming back? He said, if you want if you want to go down there and build a car plant, sell to the rest of the world and not the U.S., no problem. Do whatever you want. But if you want to sell to the U.S., you're crazy if you think we're going to let you do that. Now, in previous administrations, they just let people do whatever they want. And in fact, the Democrats, I, I had a guy that used to be this hardhead Democrat locally here. He died a few years ago. Uh, and he used to complain about all the, like, blame it on Republican presidents that all these companies were leaving the United States. And I said, hey, if if we're going to have regulations over here that cause, cause to be a lot cheaper to have your company in China or Ireland or not company or China, Ireland, like all our iPhones are getting made over in China. Ireland's lowered their corporate rates or Bangladesh. Look at the, your clothing tags. Bangladesh is on there. Vietnam, Cambodia. You go to Cambodia today, Phnom Penh. It's, it's like it used to be just totally crashed by the communists. And now it's, there's manufacturing plants all over the place because it's cheap labor there. So that so what there's an article here. Trump has promised fatigue from dealing with China and the promise fatigue is they keep promising and then they go back on the promise. So Trump increased tariffs. He said, I'm, I'm going to increase tariffs to 25 percent on 200 billion dollars worth of Chinese goods has appended upended the ongoing trade talks. The Chinese are all freaked out about it because he's going to say, if you want us to buy that. To take that two hundred billion, you give us twenty five percent on top. That's our tariff for you. The privilege of getting to do business with us. That's a great thing. That's a great thing. 
It's just like if you want to go to a, 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 a flea market and you want to sell uh, you want to sell products that you create and they they have a right to say uh, we're going to charge you uh, $400 for the booth for Saturday, right? And hope you hope you do good, help you sell a lot, but you're going to pay us $400. That's a tariff, right? It's rent on the booth. So we're going to charge the Chinese rent on the country for them to come in here and sell $200 billion in goods. They're going to have to give us 25% for, for having a booth over here in the United States. Makes total sense. Um, so it says China's leaders are learning that credibility is difficult to rebuild once squandered. After all, she, who is the president, she, XI, promised President Obama that China would not militarize the islands it built in the strategically vital South China Sea. The Vietnamese call it the Vietnamese Sea. But they went down there and built these islands in in the Vietnamese zone. And they said, well, we're just going to build the islands. They're not military, but they lied. And so Beijing's learning that they just can't keep lying and get away with it with this president. Now, they could with Bush. They could with Clinton. They could with Obama. But they cannot get away with it with Trump. And they're going to say, it's, the party's over. We're not going to lay over. We're not going to roll over on your stupidness. So... Uh, Let's see. I got a couple things here. Let me pick and choose what I want to do. Oh, I, I want to mention before we finish another guy that's been a big supporter of the show. And it's a friend of mine, Ted Holmes, who's been my friend for over 40 years and done work on my house along with Dave Greenitz of Greenitz Construction. And Ted has a number of businesses. He have lift off floor removal. He has a construction business, Holmes Construction, and he is a plumbing doctor. And uh, and I just wanted to mention a plumbing doctor. Sometimes, you know, it doesn't matter how good or bad the economy is when the plumbing gets goofed up. You need some help. So uh, one thing different, I think, about the plumbing doctor is they have fixed rates. So they just come in, they tell you this is what it's going to cost to fix that. And if it takes it longer, they just it's still a fixed rate. So then uh, they can quote you that. So. You can call them 24 hours a day because stuff happens at night, right? And, like, I know some of the businesses around me where I live in downtown Marysville, they're 24-hour businesses or near that, like Taco Bell, Denny's, different uh, fast food places. And when they get their lines plugged up or sewer, they need help. But you can reach them. They do residential and construction, and you've been Sutter County, so you can reach them at 530-671-9111. 5306719111 the plumbing doctor and if you uh use them and you you know you make a connect you call them you say okay come and do it tell them uh you heard about it on no hostages radio and you heard about it from Lou Benninger right and maybe they'll give you a little deal who knows you never know always it never hurts to ask if you don't ask you never get much so I'm going to finish up today. I don't really have much time, but I just want to say this really quickly. There's been a scam going on in the United States government for some time where they, you know, they've been referring to this as the deep state. And there are a lot of liberals that now are lifelong bureaucrats. And so no matter who changes or who becomes the president, whether it's a conservative or liberal or whoever it is, they, they stay from they stay through the, through the generations of presidents, Right. 
But what's happening, what's happened since these, uh, the Department of the Interior and the, uh, in, the uh, Environmental Protection Agency and all these have been created, uh, we have these liberals that basically believe that mankind is a problem to the earth, and uh, what needs to happen is we need to remove mankind from most of the earth, control all the water, control all the land, control all the farming, regulate everything, and make it much more difficult for people to do business. And so they remove farmers from from the government lands, uh, saying that you're ruining the land, and actually it's just the opposite. The government really, whatever they manage, they do poorly. And the, the Bureau of Land Management, or the, it's a seg- segment of the Interior Department, has ruined hundreds and hundreds of millions of acres, whereas farmers took very good care when they leased those properties from the government because if the, if the lands were, had plenty of foliage on them and grasses and the waterways were working well, then their, their uh, flocks and their herds were doing well. But when you let things... Uh, alone and you don't manage the property and you can read it in the book of Genesis Adam um, God put Adam and Eve in the garden and said take care of it and manage it God never intended the earth to be unmanaged and so when you you let the forest go and the undergrowth go and all the thatch and and uh, broken branches accumulate and tr- dead trees accumulate when lightning strikes, the whole thing burns up, burns up all the species, burns up everything. Our forefathers knew what to do, and that was to keep a clean forest. And uh, then if a fire starts, it didn't burn up everything. So the environmentalists embedded in the Interior Department have for years been encouraging these major uh, environment, radical environmentalist nonprofit groups to sue, do what we call sue and settle. The government would actually encourage people to sue them to force the government to, say, put a coyote on the endangered species list, even though it didn't need to be on there. But they'd make a big deal about that. And finally, the government would would give in because the government was compromised because they wanted them to win. And then they would pay attorneys hundreds of millions of dollars in money, the attorneys for these nonprofits, right, these environmental groups. So it was a big scam. It was an inside deal. It's kind of like you work at a quick stop and your buddies need some money. So you said, well, come in and hold me up, right? You come in and pretend like you're arrest. You know, you're holding me up, pull a gun, take the cash register, take a bunch of beer, and I'll meet you after I get off work and we'll party, right? It's an inside job. So this is an inside job, but Trump is now going to expose these big attorney firms that are cashing in on these big settlements. And where do, who do you think is paying all these attorney firms off? That's our tax dollars. So it says here in this article, uh, environmental groups have been particularly successful using citizen suits, remember, sue and settle, to sue the federal government into taking an action, then getting taxpayers to pay the attorney's fees. A 2016 Daily Caller News Foundation investigation found federal agencies paid out $49 million Dollars for 512 suits filed under three major environmental laws during the Obama administration. This has gone nutso because of Obama, because he wants to control everything. They want to control the water, the air, how much water you can use, how you do things, right? So the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act, Endangered Species Act. We've got all kinds of species that, that we need to get rid of them. We don't need them. There's all, so anyway, um, so now what they're going to do, 
these these firms. Uh, one one firm. Now, Trump's only been president for like three years. Right. One group called Center for Biological Diversity has sued the Trump administration more than 100 times now, including to stop the building of the southern southern border wall because of species living on the border. The center has also won attorney's fees from the Interior Department, despite having $19 million in net assets as of 2016. So often citizen suits result in federal agencies like the Interior Department taking more regulatory actions favored by environmental activists. Critics say the lawsuits follow activists, allow activists to profit off of pushing their agenda. So the, the uh, Daily Caller investigators found the database showing how much the government is paid doesn't list the attorney's names or the plaintiff's names. Now, the reason they allowed for attorney's fees to be paid was if the government was abusing an individual that didn't have any money, like a farmer. And if the farmer fought the government and actually won, then they would pay his attorney's fees. That's fair if the government is abusing the people. But this now has been another loophole where the government actually has been paying for these very wealthy environmental groups. In fact, some of them are funded by foreign foreign uh, countries like Russia, who don't want us to to have an oil business over here. They want us to buy oil from them and they don't want us to export oil because they're in competition. So they give money to the Sierra Club to try to forbid us from drilling oil, more oil in California. You see, you get it? So anyway, Trump now in the Interior Department is going to be expose these plaintiffs' names and the attorney firms that are ripping off taxpayers uh, for these millions. And, you know, we're talking, did I say 19 million? No, more than 19 million. It's 50 million, I think. It's uh, like, for instance, the group... There's a group called Earth Justice. They brought in $2.3 million from taxpayers suing the Interior Department uh, in 2016. Earth Justice is also financially well-endowed. The group's net assets, they have $68 million in the bank in 2015, and then the government turned around and gave them tax dollars of $2.5 million. So they aren't a desperate landowner. Or a desperate business that would that the, if the government comes up against you, they have a deep pocket, right? So they can uh, they can just keep suing you, suing you, suing you till you run out of money. So the government said, hey, if the if the citizen wins, he gets to get get the attorney's fees back. But in this case, these are big, financially well-heeled groups. Attorneys' fees they they're getting about two hundred dollars an hour, and. Uh, so and and they're not they're not feeble groups that need the help. They are very successful groups that have lots and lots and lots of money. So thank God for Trump. It's just another area where they the liberal government set up a system to rip off uh, the taxpayer again and again. You wonder how come your roads aren't being fixed? Your buildings look crappy. Your bridges are crappy. Your your streams are screwed up. They're just they're giving money away to China. They're giving money away to these big nonprofit groups that don't need the money. So forget them. If they want to sue, sue, but pay out, pay it out of your own pocket. So we're going to call it a day. Uh, 
Thank you for listening, and uh, we'll be back. You can go on to nohostagesradio.com if you want to look at my articles uh, that I wrote this week, or you can go to territorialdispatch.biz. You can look at the same articles, and uh, we'll we'll have this, uh, this show episode. I believe it's six or seven. I can't remember now. And we'll have it up um, on Saturday morning, our normal time. And we'll keep doing that forever. Uh, so also, um, we want to give a shout out to the guys over in Idaho, Missouri. I think we may have a listener maybe up in uh, Montana now. And uh, so we'll just keep plugging along till we get a little movement going here. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you later. We'll chosen to join us here in the Palace Hotel Ballroom at this time. We certainly hope you all enjoy the show. And remember, people, that no matter who you are and what you do to live, thrive, and survive, there's still some things that make us all the same. You, me, them, everybody. Everybody. Sugar to